Welcome back, everyone. This is Alex Myla. I'm here with Chris Yates, and you're listening to episode four of Don't Fret, a Guitar Builders podcast. with us today um you know chris has been talking about him and we finally we finally got him on on the show and sean we're we're really just really stoked to have you here man oh thanks man i'm really uh honored to be a part of the pod and uh yeah just ear hustle you guys and talk it up about all the things we love about guitar hell yeah so yeah sean is our uh actually alex i was thinking about this earlier today this is our fourth episode right cool <laughs> um yeah so sean is our first uh non-luthier podcast or uh, guest on the show um he is a very talented gifted guitar player um and we wanted to have him on just to uh kind of get a different perspective um of the guitar industry yeah, well, you know what? I will say I'm not a luthier yet, but listening to your guys' podcast might inspire me to, you know, think a little different. Oh man, I can barely solder a pickup, but uh, <laughs> you know, we'll, maybe we'll get there. So, but yeah, I thanks for having me on. You know, I've I've known Chris for a while now, and I've uh, had you know the pleasure to play one of his prototypes for Mobius, and it was so awesome. And you know, it's just uh, yeah, cool to talk to you guys. I mean, as a player, you know, I've played so many different guitars and whether it's friends guitars or ones that have passed through my hands and uh, you know they're all just so uniquely different and I've kind of gotten to this point as a player I'd be kind of curious to hear what you guys think of as builders but you know where even a guitar that you'd say is not that good if it's set up right in terms of hardware and it's you know it makes sound sometimes it can surprise you and be a really inspiring instrument definitely you know on that I got a, a, a little story like through high school, I um, I would play, you know, guitar at you know with with a couple of my buddies, and I had a really nice, uh, you know, when Wolfgang was part of PV, and I had a PV Wolfgang, and that was my favorite guitar. But the problem was, is I never really had like that inspirational mojo from it. Mm. But uh, I picked up this old, you know, unknown brand Chinese like aqua blue acoustic guitar from my buddy Jackson's room and I would start playing it and I would come up with some of the coolest stuff like you know not to toot my own horn but I was I'm still super proud of the stuff I came up with then I mean and that guitar was awful I mean the fret ends (laughs) would cut your hand like I had these like linear cuts on my fingers because you know it was just so poorly dressed the um you know the neck was warped so a couple notes would buzz out but for some reason they just happened to work out well that way i never thought i'd be able i'd be saying that but that guitar was one of the most inspirational guitars that i've ever played and it's a piece of junk (laughs) (laughs) you know it's like i'm I'm really grateful because i you know i play tom anderson's and they are to me you know like the cream of the crop i mean there's like it's kind of in that tier of guitar where there's no better there's just different flavors it's like when you you find the greatest ice cream shop in the world like I'm, i'm just lucky to shop there so to speak so 
with that being said, you know, I'll still play guitars from, you know, unknown makers, at least to me, and I'll pick them up and go, whoa, that's cool. And there'll be different things I like about it. Of course, we all have things that we like as our home base and all that. But, you know, to me, the biggest thing about guitars is it has to be something that inspires the player, whoever that is, to play. And there's been guitars I know that I've played of, like, friends who are like, oh, this is my favorite guitar, and they write all this music, and I play it, and it's a you know, it's a hunk of junk to me, but one man, one man's trash is another man's treasure, so they say. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's kind of funny in that way, but, you know, with with what you guys go for, you know, I've not played uh, Alex's guitars, but, you know, with Chris, it's such a uh, artisan beauty. It's, it's almost like, you know, as a guitar fan, it's like I've never even, like I've not played Chris Johnson's, for example, which I cannot wait to play. But even just looking at it, you just know it's a good guitar. You know, it's like one of those things. And I, I you know, I get a kick out of guitars in all different ways of playing them or looking at them. And I'm really getting into weird guitars and like things that are kind of uh, obnoxious aesthetically. I'm digging it. Yeah, dude, get weird with it. No headless yet, though. That's still a no-no. <laughs> still off limits. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> It's, it's funny. funny, like, uh, the first time I got to hold one of Chris's guitars was actually when we first met in Reno, um, and I got to just see them firsthand, and, it was, you know, we didn't get to plug it in, um, mm-hmm. I didn't get to actually plug one in until NAMM, um, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is something special, and it was, it, it was, it was from the moment I, it, it, I felt it in my hands, I was like, as someone who builds guitars, like instantly, instantly, I'm like, I need one of these in the future, um, <laughs> and eventually I'm going to make that happen. But um, Sean, when you, I mean, from your end, because we're we're at one end of a spectrum, you're you're you know the person that we build for essentially. Mm-hmm. What is it about a guitar that has that mojo factor? That kind of as builders, we try to create somehow through a bunch of different variables and sometimes we we nail it and sometimes we fall flat on our faces but to you when you pick up guitar what is it that makes it you know this is awesome and this is a hunk of junk you know that's a good question and it's kind of one of those things where it's like you know we can all look for answers but it's kind of finding the right question i think that's like the one for making an instrument and the reason i say is because i still don't know how to answer it from you know, I, I've played so many, uh, like, for example, like with the Andersons, like I have a couple that are all the same model in the same woods in the same pickups. And, right. you know, from everything you read on the gear page, or the holy grail of info, you know, it's like, oh, it should be pretty close. And they're just completely different guitars. You know, I've had, um, t- like, so where I live, my buddy, um, where I, like, so the house I, I live at, um, it's on this other property and the guy owns it, he's a collector. So there's a lot of the stuff, like his guitars here. So probably like the other room, at least right now, there's like 60 guitars. And they're a range of, you know, exotic kind of stuff to like, you know, 10 of the same Lux tone, like literally. (laughs) And And they're all great. And, you know, I've played so many of the exact same guitar with the exact same spec, same hardware, same pickups. And some of them just are better and some of them are not. And I, I can't really say, I'll say as a player, what I look for um, immediately is a, ne- a good neck. 
Um, that's the first turnoff for me. Um, not even tone, because you know you can always blame it on like, oh, the strings are dead or it's not set up right. Like I find action to be a massive thing for my tone. Um, if the action's too high, it can sound really dead and sterile. And same with if it's too low, but that's a bit more obvious. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like one of those things where it has to be a mix of everything. And I remember I asked Tom Anderson about this. I said, Tom, like, can you tell me what makes a guitar? You know, what makes your guitar so special? Because I just, you know, I have an affinity for his stuff. It just feels like home to me. The majority oh, of them. I've, so met a, good. I, I've met a couple guitars of his where, just for whatever reason, I didn't bond with them. Kind of like that thing you're saying where it's like, you're just like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't gel with it. And it's right. same exact neck profile, same exact woods. But he said, you know, it's not just the parts. It's how it all comes together. And that's going to be different for every guitar. Um, and I think the the mark of a really good manufacturer is just dialing in that consistency over time. So, and there's definitely some that stick out to me, like say, like uh, Music Man, like that. That's who I think of as being really consistent. Every time I pick up one, I'm like, oh, that feels like one of their guitars. Right. Totally. You know. So it's like there, there's that kind of craft to it. But as a player, it's about the neck, and uh, I'd say about how the guitar acoustically responds dynamically, because then that will affect, you know. If it's really dead dynamically or just really flat, like uh, it either wants to be really loud or just quiet, even really great pickups are not going to help that speak as much as just a guitar that is open season for creation. So, and then that, with that being said, I cannot find out what makes that happen. It's always different. Sure. Um, I, I was curious. I think I saw... Um it, it may have been a comment that uh, that I saw Chris post ab on your new video, but what is what's the deal with this uh, tremolo bar? Oh, the tremolo bar. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, I love I love talking about this. So, the Ibanez Ibanez makes this bar that is the carbon. It's made out of carbon fiber, and apparently, I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure of the story, but this is what my friend told me is that Joe Satriani developed it with Ibanez because. He noticed that when he was leaning forwards or back or even on stage that he'd get a little bit of detuning just because of the weight of the bar. It was oh, a wow. bar. Yeah. And the thing is, is it looks really cool. Like it's different and it just has a cool <laughs> vibe to it. And it's a little bit thicker than a traditional metal bar. Like I really don't like the look of the bars that have the little nub on them. Like that's just too old. Oh, like, dude, 100%. They're like the I'm just not into that. But the no. problem is that I like the thickness of the nub. And that's the <laughs> only time I'm going to say that. I, I feel like I feel like so, that's a quotable. Yeah, yeah. that clip that. So the, the, with this trim uh, arm, I got used to it because my buddy, uh, the one dude that uh, has a bunch of guitars here, he uses that on a ton of his guitars where he mods the bridge. So basically, he'll take any bridge that's a five, whether it's a five ten or it doesn't matter. You can take any bridge, take out the tremolo arm socket, put on the Ibanez one, which you just buy secondhand, and then any of their bars fit in. So it just drops in. So the thing is, is like the Anderson trim bar is perfect. There's nothing wrong with it. I just kind of did it to be a little snarky and to be different. But then I, I was like, I kind of like it. And I like how this is, you know, not many people are going to mod their Anderson. It's kind of one of those things that like, I don't know. And you don't yeah, you need just to. leave it, as like, is. I would never tell anyone to do this because it's just, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But I like it, you know, and that's what I'm doing. So. Um, on a couple of my Andersons, I still have it stock um, because I'm having a hard time getting the arm, the Ibanez arm attachment in there. But I mean, it's not reliable. I've had to, I literally had to glue it in place because it just sucked. <laughs> oh, no. like, I had, so I did the Tangerine Dream video, and in the 
while I was filming it, because it had just gotten assembled the day before, um, and they didn't know that, like, normally I put Gorilla Glue on this thing, so they just tightened it, and then as I'm filming it, the entire bar, like, the trim socket came loose. Oh, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not, like, uh, something I'd recommend to the general public, but for me, it's the way to go, you know? it's <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just fun. Nice. I'll, I'll have to uh, acquire one of those and check it out somehow, especially knowing that Satriani was part of the development. He was like the first instrumental guitar guy yeah. that I ever got into forever ago surfing with the Alien. Oh my God, and, yeah. And by the way, and Vi then switched to it too. So it's like, to me, I'm like, okay, if the two dudes at the top of the mountain of what I do use this thing, I should probably like just kind of check it there, out. There's, you know, there's something not? there. If the teacher does it and then the student does it, yeah, there, there, there's there's something there. Exactly. I'm still not shaving my head, though. But I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But, like, I, I think that it's because of the lightweight nature of it combined with the thickness, it fits in my hand really well. Clip that again. Um, so it fits in my hand really well for when I'm picking and I'm also doing tremolo stuff. Because I like to do kind of like the Sean Lane thing where right. you're holding the tremolo bar in your hand while you're even doing, like, economy picking. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is like when you hit a couple notes, you can you know lean into them with the trem bar, or you can use it you know just for a little bit of shake or difference in the pitch. But I because of the lightweight nature of it, it just it's kind of like it's not there, and I've gotten really used to that. That's awesome. Um, so speaking of Tangerine Dream, so I I saw that the video when it came out and. Man, it, it it's awesome. Like it Thanks, is, dude. it is like it, it's it's like every kid's like dream right there. Um, <laughs> I mean, how, what was like? How did that whole concept come up? Like, well, um, um, you know, I started writing the song. I don't. I think it was sometime in twenty 2020 twenty or twenty twenty one. Like I came up with like the first riff, and I was messing around with like a Petrucci style tone, and kind of like trying to come up with a riff from like uh, I don't know if you guys are in a dream theater, but. Um, there's this one riff from About to Crash, the reprise on Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, and it's just like such a sick, like, if John, John Petrucci and Van Halen wrote a riff kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So I started out with that intro riff that's in the beginning of the song, and I just started writing it out. And then I started, like, having this feeling that it was going to be the next single, and because I had done a music video for the last one before called Ocean, right. I was like, well... Um, I'm going to think about this now as I do it. And then I started developing this really absurd storyline. And then I talked to the guy I was going to work with and he told me it was in my budget. And I was like, baby, let's go. Yes. So, uh, yeah. So I just kind of went with, when it went with it from there. And I, it's cool because I, I've never been able to do this before where I write the, I'm, I wrote the song as I developed the video and it was planned. So it's like everything came together in synergy it and I really like it. Thank you. And I, I really wanted to kind of be like I'm almost scoring the picture, but it's almost the opposite. Like the song structure was already there, but, you know, I'm writing the leads and thinking about how the video looks. And that's a really cool way to visualize emotions, you know, and think about what you want it to feel like. Oh, I mean, so, it, and it comes across pretty well, even in the videography as well, you know, you know I, when, when I, com- combined with the song. I was so lucky to work with uh, Jake Johnston, who he's done a couple of the Polyphia videos and worked with them on like art direction for, you know, even like a OD, for example, or right. uh, the last one, Neurotica. Um, that was shot like two days after mine. That was really, I, I got to check that out. It was really, really inspiring to be around that kind of high level. But sure. um, anyways, uh, the... The, the fact that I could I knew that the team would pull it off, it gave me a lot of confidence to try to pull off musically what I was trying to do, and that was kind of trying to 
nod to my heroes like Sachin Vi and like Paul Gilbert, Sean Lane, but also yeah. try to go back in time. Like, what if I wrote a song and came out during that time instead of, you know, 2016 when I came out? Like, almost like a, it's strange, it sounds like a re-debut. Like, how can I re-debut, but in a different time? And um, I see that. Like, it's, it's, it's uncommon that you see that kind of virtuosity in a lot of the guitar-laden music nowadays. Like, you see, like versions of it but there's very few guitarists that actually just go full tilt like you like you did in the last video but do actually do it very very tastefully um and music well, thank you thank you i mean my first record flux is definitely a little bit more tame in terms of going for it because i was really hyper conscious of like well i mean i was like 21 also and like super like unaware of the world so i was like i don't i don't know where i'm at i'd want to be unique and you know i was like i don't want to make just another guitar album and that now i'm like okay it'd be cool to just make another guitar album like i don't really yeah. care i just i you know i just have a lot of fun doing this so i i kind of wanted to do something that was really on the nose and the rest of the album is certainly not like that it's very uh i mean there's a lot of variety but tangerine dream was definitely like, okay let's just try to be my heroes and like I, I know this sounds probably weird but like i recorded the rhythm guitar parts wearing like a leather jacket and sunglasses in my room because I, like, yeah, I, like, I was like yeah i was like you have to you know like you you can't not do that i was like it's a total sunglasses indoors song oh yeah so you, you got to um, channel all of that in there yeah, so that was just kind of my approach, and I, I'm really glad it comes off um, tastefully. You know, that was kind of the hardest part about it was how do I throw in all this different stuff? I mean, there's literally licks in there I ripped off from, like, there's this one line in there where I, it's literally the exercise from Rock Discipline. And, um, <laughs> like, the, the octave major uh, where it's, like, E, uh, what would you call it, an E shape, like a bar chord, but you're doing like string skipping. And it's literally just the exercise. So I was like, okay, how can I make this musical and make it fun and make it, you know, do whammy bar stuff or wang bar, as I like to say. I should have said that earlier. The <laughs> real wham is, name is wang bar. Yeah, that, and then, but, as um, you said before, it fits nicely in your hand. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah. The Satriani wang bar. It's all about <laughs> finding Satch's wing. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's, um, it, it was a great video, yeah, for sure. Thanks, man. Yeah, the video is, uh, Sean, like I was telling you, is just, it's super fun. Well, you know, like, there's so much, like, super heavy shit going on in the world all the time lately that having that video come out is just like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> things can be fun. This is great. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the you know, the first location didn't pass, which was North Korea, so we settled for North L.A. I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, you're right. You know, it's all about bringing light to the world. <laughs> it's all about bringing light to the world and, uh, you know, entertaining people. And, you know, ultimately, I... You know, I've been kind of uh, absent from the scene just from, like, the level of, like, where social media has gone. So I was like, okay, what can I do that's, like, really loud and fun and engaging and makes people want to be a part of what I do and kind of show people also what I'm trying to give out to people, which is, like, hey, don't take it so seriously. Like, at the end of the video, I drive away in my Prius with the guitar in the front <laughs> seat. And it's, like, supposed to show you, like, dude, it's all good. Yeah. Like, you don't need a, a crazy car that's going to kill your bank account because the gas. You can drive a Prius, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved it, man. Thanks, it, dude. It, it's funny. Like, you, you came on my radar, I think, back in, I think it was like 2014. And it was oh, just wow. a, it was a simple uh, demo video. Because around 2014 is when I really got into high gear with building and, you know, mm -hmm. You know, my, my blog got a lot of attention at the time, but I also was looking around to just see what people were really playing and then what made those guitars, um, you know, 
desirable. Sure. Um, and I think it was um, this like red sunset burst Tom Anderson guitar um, that you would you were demoing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it was like called like a is either like angel or fairy model or something. so it's it's the that would have been the angel model and then in uh, the finish we came up with uh, called ginger burst. That's yeah. it. That's the one. Yes, and sir. and so once I heard you play, I was like, oh, this okay, this guy is. I'm gonna have to keep an eye on this guy. And then I think I before we did this this podcast, I kind of went back and started looking at some older videos. Um, and I there's a song that I couldn't remember what the name was, and it, it popped up after you know you when you when you're on YouTube, you click one mm-hmm. or two videos from someone, and it starts recommending stuff. And it's funny that I couldn't remember it because the song was actually called Memory Lane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Is that on is that on Flux? That is on Flux, yeah. Nice. Tracked uh, two. And when and, did uh, what year did Flux come out again? Was that twenty nineteen? No, I wish. It came, well not, I should say I wish. It's been great, but that would be nice if I didn't have as much of a gap. It came out January twenty sixteen. Wow. Um, yeah, so it's a while back now. And, you know, I, I wrote and recorded it pretty much over 2014 and 2015. So we're coming, I mean, like eight years ago now. But, wow. yeah. Well, yeah, I remember the summer that it came out. That was like, all, you know, you you tend to make, at least I do, you kind of tend to make like a seasonal or like summer playlist of just like different albums that sort of come out in the spring that you wind up listening to throughout the whole summer. And it, yeah. it was like... Uh, Flux was on there. I think Intervals came out with an album that year. Yep. <clears throat> oh, sweet. Yeah, it was, uh, maybe, there was a lot of releases that maybe year. Maybe Polyphia. Um, and yeah, you were just like on the rotation and be like, oh yeah, sick, I know this guy. <laughs> oh man, that's that's awesome to hear. Yeah, it was a great time and I'm really still proud of that album. I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not upset for time to go slower, but I'm really looking forward to doing like a 10 year remix and remaster of it and Ooh, just nice. like go balls to the wall. Yes. So... But you know, it's funny that video. I, I when I looked at the video recently again, I, I was I, I see you playing, and all of a sudden I see Chris Johnson there too, and I'm like, oh my god, there he is! <laughs> yeah, man, um, Chris. Chris will always be around. He's he's uh he's the best. He's the homie, dude. Oh, he's, we, he's we, awesome. He's, he's the first person I ever played my solo stuff with in terms of gigging. You know, like he oh, was. No the, he's been. Yeah, we've played a couple of private gigs, and Chris was uh he played bass at one of them, and then guitar yep. at the second. Oh man, and, he is uh, super we, talented. Like we and, opened for Rival Sons. I don't know if you know who those guys are, but I do. They had just gotten off of the last tour with Black Sabbath, and we were playing a private party. And we opened up because uh, they couldn't get Satriani, so they called me. Uh, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and, it's not uh, a bad. That's not a bad way to go. Yeah, man. I know, right? So it was actually my first gig I ever did solo stuff. We played the entire album. It's on YouTube somewhere if someone can find it. Yeah, um, I, I'd let, rather that be a fun mystery hunt for people. But yeah, the whole entire thing's on there, and it was great. Uh, Forrest Rice from Covet played drums, and then Chris was on bass at that, and then my roommate was on guitar. But um, yeah, Chris is the greatest man. I, I love oh. that guy. And he my... he started his own show too that that um that I, that I watch every now and then. He's yeah. been posting pretty regularly. Oh, toned and to- let's give a toned shout out to and Toneful, which to me has been so inspiring. You know, I just want to give a little love to Chris on this because I've known him for so long and. You know, I've I've been grateful to know him in like, you know, and hang out with him, and he's sharing who he really is with the world. At least the Chris I know, like what we talk about, and uh, yeah, I mean, I just I love it because it's like I can literally just experience that same joy and, and light that comes from him from that, and uh, he's really inspired me to you know start sharing more. So I'm starting to get on that myself, but 
Yeah, he's the greatest man. Definitely no, check it out. So any genuine. listeners? I wish I could meet him in person too. At some point, I'm you know we all got to meet up at some point. Oh, totally. But, was yeah. he? Was Chris not at the at Nam 2020? Um, no, he was not. Oh, that's so. right. Yeah, yeah that's the last I was going we say, to say. Yeah, that was that was the last uh, like normal Nam. Yeah, I mean, I had like I only ended up deciding to go like three days before, and luckily I was able to get a pass because uh, I don't know whatever. But like I got in, and then uh, it was cool. You know, I, I was kind of glad that I could be at like the last normal one. But I'm looking well, dude, forward and especially, to the next one. Yeah, especially in retrospect, like no one knew the world was going to shut down the next month. No, <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, we're lucky we didn't get sick during that. That's like a nitus for dude. infection. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, it's a, uh, I, I knew of a couple people who got really sick after that NAM, and they had a lot of weird issues that later were diagnosed as COVID. So it was definitely going around. Yeah, um, absolutely. But like, uh, yeah, NAM thrax, man. It's funny. We used to joke about it, and now we it's did. like not as funny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's ridiculous. It's like right after that, you know, all of us are on a high of just like you know being in just. The best place like a musician and and you know any of any of our fields you know can collide and then all of a sudden everything shuts down and you know yeah. i'm at work and i'm like this is the worst contrast to the best couple of days i had yeah <laughs> yeah well you know what i will say as a player nam is slightly a different experience you know i'm not saying that i don't enjoy it but it can definitely be a little bit of a well, you know, like I, there's been a couple years that I definitely intentionally didn't go, and you know, when I go, it's definitely more for like business. It's not like, sure. you know, it's it, it's cool to hang with people, but like I can hang with people when they're on tour. You know what I mean? Like, and they're coming through, or you know, if I'm around, like, or traveling down to SoCal because I live, you know, in California. So it's kind of like Nam. I I like it, but I was really glad to skip this last one. Uh, but Dude, I'll probably this last one looked really weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I had intel really early on that like all the biggest art companies weren't going, and I was like, oh, this is going to be oh, uh, no. really interesting to see what yeah. happens. But like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be hitting up the April one if anything, just to you know see a couple people like that. You know, you don't really get to see normally, and that's kind of one of the cool parts about it is almost for me like what happens outside of Nam, like yeah. I'm not really the kind of guy who goes around the booths and checks out gear. Like, that's just kind of me. But, um, you know, I probably should a little bit more. But, you know, gas, I've, I've hit the gas pedal so hard in my life. I'm just trying to, like, chill. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I've, like, the way that I almost, like, subconsciously decide to experience NAM every year has changed so much <laughs> like year over year from the first year that I went like the first time you know I it was just like kid in a candy store like I want to look at every single like guitar manufacturer pro audio booth mm -hmm. like absolutely everything walk like 10 plus miles a day don't care go every single day and then uh I like I kind of went in the first year with that mindset and then <clears throat> like year over year um is also when i started building my own guitars mm. and it like your perspective of the whole guitar industry like completely changes <laughs> when you when you start like doing everything diy yeah man i mean the uh the thing with nam that i think that like i i, well, I remember i played a mobius was that the first time i played that guitar the proto I, uh, the, the, the very, the very, very first prototype mm -hmm. 
that I'm looking at right now hanging on my wall, which is like my kitchen sink guitar is the one that uh, I brought to my wedding that you and Chris got to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one that's hanging immediately to my left is the one that you got to play. Uh, yeah, that was at the KSR booth. Well, what was the one that I took home and I dinged it? You dinged it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. Was that was that the one that was at Nam? Um, you know, it might have been, but I don't. I almost feel like it was. Uh, it was the one that I grabbed from you at your wedding, and then I gave back to you at Eric's house. Oh yes, yeah, that is that one. I patched the ding, so I forgot that happened. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, I still felt Which so one bad. Was about that? that was that the Telly style one, or was that the one it's, with the X, so- X breeds? Uh, it's the Telly. Well, they're kind of both Telly styles, uh, but the one with the the left-handed hip shot Telly bridge. That one. That uh, one? That's that's the one that Sean borrowed with the like Strandberg style thigh cutout that didn't really make sense in the end. Wait, um, it didn't. It didn't end up going. Uh, I I didn't keep it in the design. Uh, well, the 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 big like where the whole like right half of the lower bout is missing. Um, that I don't do anymore. But the the carves on... The thigh <clears throat> carve? Yeah, the thigh carve is still very much part of the design. Okay, cool, good. Yeah. Because I was going to say, dude, like I just want to give you some love for your designs. Like I think you're one of the few dudes in the entire industry who's actually innovating. I agree. And I, and <laughs> Thanks, I, and man. I, and I mean that because like I've played a lot of these like ergonomic future guitars or whatever they are, like made out of, you know, stuff from like... You know, Area Fifty One, and like <laughs> it's it's all good, but it's all solving problems that don't exist. And yours right, actually right. does. And uh, like even that's why I was like, oh man, that thigh car better be there because when I played that guitar, I was like, this is one of the most impactful things I've ever experienced that you wouldn't think about unless you you were told about it. Exactly. And it, it, it for me, you know, Chris, you and I had this conversation. I think at Eric's about how guitars sit and. I just have such a so, such a strong belief in the, where it should be on your body when you're sitting down, in not just classical position, but just regular sitting position. I don't know if there's a name for that, but you know, then standing up, it still translates because of that carve, and mm-hmm. anything else is a compromise. I mean, like I remember I asked you, I was like, dude, would you do this to one of my Andersons? I was like, this is right, dope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I like it's such a significant change to me, but it's like you wouldn't notice it unless you noticed it, and that's. That's always, uh, to me, a note of genius is when it's a dumb moment where it's like, oh, yeah, like, of course you do that. Like, that's, yeah. it just, this makes sense. Oh, I completely you know? agree. So, like, uh, the first time I picked up one of his guitars, like, I saw it and I'm like, aesthetically, everything's pleasing. And it, it, it kind of harkens back to some of the vintage shapes that, you know, a lot of us draw our inspiration from and mm-hmm. which people in general usually gravitate towards. But then when I actually held it in my hands, that's where, you, like you said, it kind of, Things kind of fit in ways that you never really knew you you needed or 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 could have thought of before. Like I, I if I go and pick up a regular Telecaster right now, I can tell you I am not gonna like it just because the square heel, the you know the boat at, mm. boat neck, no real arm bevel, nothing really ergonomic about it. It's just everyone likes it because it's a vintage classic guitar. Mm-hmm. But you know those the small little considerations and appointments that you make to a guitar really show how much thought you've put into the player experience too absolutely i mean you know we're at a different time of player too because the electric guitar is so young you know relative to say piano or violin so yep. we've reached this level of technical understanding of some things that require a little bit more precision in terms of where the guitar sits and you know what's good for the body in that way 
But I do want to say that, you know, like I love vintage style guitars. Like one of my favorite guitars ever is my Anderson Telly. And it doesn't have a bolt neck, like a four bolt neck, but it's a slab body. So it doesn't have an arm contour. And mm. the thing that I feel like a lot of musicians don't think about a lot, but drum, or I'm sorry, that guitar players don't think a lot about a lot, but maybe drummers do, is how much motion influences sound. So I do agree that there's some things that are more ergonomic. But there's no denying that you get a certain sound from how you have to put your hand on the guitar and where that just, based on the idiosyncratic nature of that guitar, places your hand. And the way I always explain it to like uh, you know students when I'm talking about like say uh, strumming is that if you look at like ACDC or Green Day play a chord, they move their entire arm, and you cannot get a guitar to sound like that if you're keeping your hand in one spot. Totally. So, it, yeah, it's it. I mean, it's the same uh, argument uh, that you hear all the time about like downpicking. Like, yes. Oh, you know, you, you, like James Hetfield. You know, you just you have to downpick everything. And and there's oh, certain gosh, yeah. there's certain guitars. You know, frankly, like a guitar sometimes with a tunematic bridge or maybe a really thick body because of the angle that that forces the like the pitch, if you want to call it the wrist. It really is conducive to that. So. I think the the balance is really finding things that are ergonomic and they're they're beneficial for this precision that we're looking for, but also allow the most flexibility of motion. Um, which is why I find a lot of ergonomic guitars don't work for me because I'm so used to. I don't even want to say used to. I'm just aware of what these other guitars do, and you literally can't like if you go to do like Hendrix chords over a guitar with a neck that's shaped like you know a four dimensional cube. You know it's really difficult <laughs> to to do anything with because it's just it, it doesn't work the same way, and that's fine. But I think the ultimate goal is finding like, uh, and of course it's indiv individualistic for every player, but finding the thing that allows personal expression to shine through without any kinds of obstruction and any whether it's tonally and the pickup choices and the wiring to you know again contours on the guitar but for me a reason I often pick up other kinds of styles of guitars or even ones I know don't play as comfortably is because it inspires a different motion sure. and it's it's a weird thing you know because you want that precision you want this kind of thing but you have to have that balance but I think Chris really really strikes that with his guitars completely thanks. agree completely thanks agree. man yeah, I mean, I uh, I would say that a lot of the ergonomic uh, decisions that I made, um, or just like basic ideas that I came up with when I was like, you know, carving body prototypes out of styrofoam, um, were directly um, impacted by feedback that I got from you and Chris, like talking wow. to you guys about. Uh, things that you find important as players. Um, so that's that's really cool that it sort of like came full circle, <laughs> you know, like uh, all, with without directly being like, hey, you know, like Sean, what do you like? What do you want a guitar body to provide for you? Mm -hmm. But it's it was sort of more of a, a cause and effect kind of a thing. Um, and yeah, to your other point, I do think that there is something to be said, and I think about this all the time, uh, for ergonomic limitations. Um, like you were saying, the, <clears throat> the slab body telly where there's just like no arm contour whatsoever, uh, you know, like it's not ergonomic, but it is going to um, almost force a different performance out of the guitarist. Um, yes. So I think that that's... That's something that's really interesting to think about. Um, you know, the, of course, the forearm contour just being one of like several different 
uh, potential limitations that could have a similar effect. Well, let me just, like for a telly, this is the direct result, which is that, so because of the slab body, if you approach it from a, um, like a, like say a, a strat kind of posture, is that you're gonna end up with a picking um, form that is just, like if you don't think about it, that is just a bit more like down picking on like a Les Paul, just because your wrist has to pop up a little bit to have that access to all the strings while not cutting off blood flow. So this is why you'll see a lot of telly players play their guitar a little higher and actually come in from the side. Mm-hmm. And that's why then as a result, they become more of a flat picker. So okay. it's kind of like the style of music almost makes sense that it happened because of the constraints physically of a Telecaster. Yep. And same with the Les Paul. Like I find that a lot of really amazing shredders started on a Gibson, like uh, Aldi Mayola, uh, Sean Lane, I mean, like, or a Gibson style where you have that kind of pop up with the wrist because then you have to learn how to use your forearm. Mm-hmm. So there, there's these different fun things. This is why I always think with the guitar players, you need to have multiple guitars. I mean, if there's any wives listening, let let them have them, <laughs> let, let them have them all because you need them. And it actually helps your physicality because you become more adaptable. It's kind of like just trying out um, different exercises. Sure. And you're finding different ways your body can load weight. So with an acoustic guitar, when I play it, it doesn't feel so foreign to me because I've played a lot of acoustic. But with a guitar player who's only used to playing like um, a Majesty six string or something, they're going to go to an acoustic and be like, what the hell? You know, it's just a completely different experience. (laughs) So it's, um, you know, I think it's a player and a builder thing, which is like, you know, it's like you want to kind of, the ideal thing is you want a player who can, you want to become a player who can play multiple things and be versatile. At least, maybe that's not everyone, but that's kind of, yeah, that's definitely me. I'd like to do that and be able to pick up a guitar and just make it make music. But then the flip side is that you need the guitar to be conducive to that flexibility as well. One of the, one of the big things about what the why we wanted to do this, and we've been talking about this for quite some time now, um, is just that we enjoy talking shop. We enjoy chatting with other people who like to do the same, and that's mm. pretty much what this is. Oh yeah, that's I, I've been listening to every one of your guys's uh, cast so far. Oh, thanks, man. You know, I don't listen to a whole lot of guitar podcasts just because it's like too much inside baseball for me typically. Sure, but I like the uh, I like when it's about specificities and like cool shit. Like if there was like podcast that was just about guitar technique, like I would be like hella into it or like you know building guitars. Like it's so cool. And I mean, it, uh, it, it's it's a huge topic, and we kind of go all over the place. I I you know I think eventually we may become a bit more focused. But um, you know, like ye- yesterday, we we interviewed Adam Bath, who makes um, guitar pickups, mm-hmm. and he also was someone that um, built guitars as well. And hearing just his, you know, insight uh, into the process and kind of his discoveries um, was eye opening. Even though I'm, you know, I'd like to say I'm someone who's pretty well informed about a lot of pickups and you know how they mm-hmm. how they sound and how they're made and stuff. But it was it was very kind of illuminating to hear his perspective. Um, Man, that's did Chris tell you about my buddy Jonathan? Jonathan. So uh, of guitarpickupdatabase.com. No. All right. So my uh, he's a, he's a student of mine. He's been I've a longtime student now, and uh, he got really passionate about pickups, and he formed this website, and he's just doing it's I don't even know how to explain it. He's like trying to build the 
like library of pickups. So he's been buying like every pickup on the market and talking to all these manufacturers, getting, trying to get them sent to him. And he's measuring all of the different variables that you can and then putting them online. Wow. Because the issue with pickups is that you get told all these things like, oh, well, you know, like this is the, uh, you know, the resistance or whatever. And that tells you nothing about the resonant curve or the oh, inductance yeah. and all this different stuff. So if you go to guitarpickupdatabase.com, he has so far, you know, it's already like 100, 200 pickups and just it keeps growing and it's the charts for the pickups. And then he'll even do write-ups about comparisons between different kinds of pickups of the same manufacturer, going over the patents or technology like Airbucker from DiMarzio and what that actually means and sure. showing detailed pictures. It is literally like the holy grail for pickups. That is cool. And, i got to um, check that out. Yeah, I told him about you guys and told Chris that you guys need to get him on. He literally will... Like my feeling about this dude is that he's gonna study all these pickups and then determine that he's just gonna make his own and then it's gonna be scary what happens. Like oh, that's I, that's I, how I nerdy he is about this. That's how nerdy he is about this stuff. So I just think, uh, yeah, you know, he's trying to scale up and brand, you know, get his brand out there. But it's just you know, kind of on this level where it's just so detailed and there's so much care put in about like why these details actually do matter to a player and and to the ear, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, what's his site again? Like, how can how can we find it? So, uh, guitar. Let me just make sure. Let me type this in first. Just make sure I'm not sending you to a not good site. Uh, <laughs> guitarpickupdatabase.com. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right. Well, and have to check uh, that for sure. what's great is you know he has all these pickups with the you know have magnet type. Uh, he, he divides it and categorizes it really in an intelligent way. And uh, shows charts, and then he has links on there where you can buy the pickups. You know, and it's kind of supporting him through an affiliate link. But yeah. with that being said, you know, it's really great if someone's looking for stuff. Because, so I'll, I'll be honest, without naming names, I'm aware of several pickup companies who, like verbatim, they told, like the owners told, either me or people I knew that the pickup charts they put on their website were literally made up for fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> and and uh, there's a problem with that. So when you see like a bass middle treble thing and it's like a chart and it's like a 3D model of something and it's or like a pie chart or something, right? Yeah, you do not actually know if that is true. Oh, and, and I think it's something you that. you like. Unfortunately, as you bought a bunch of pickups, like when I, when I look at all the pickups that I bought, and I bought hundreds and have you know installed hundreds of them in different ones that I've either made or bought. Mm -hmm. Um. And you go and go back to the reference, and you're like, "This is complete nonsense." But you only realize yeah. that after you've bought a ton of pickups. Well, and it's and it's unfortunate because I remember when I was like really starting to dig into like bare knuckle and yeah, <laughs> uh, you know Seymour Duncan and stuff like that. Like as an I don't want to say amateur, but like as a guitarist or tinkerer that's like just getting into the like exploring that curiosity of trying mm -hmm. different pickups in your guitar those charts are agonizing man yeah, <laughs> like, i actually believe like long i mean i know for a fact they're gonna go away like my buddy's site's gonna take over this every company is gonna be forced to provide completely transparent information because otherwise someone else is gonna do it and that's gonna help the consumer and it's gonna help the companies because then people won't be guessing and going Okay, I'm gonna wait on this. You know, they're gonna know what they need for their guitar. Kind of like the Carfax of pickups. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know, I think you know one thing I knew I wanted to bring up with you guys actually was pickups in the way that like I'm curious as builders, like when you choose different manufacturers for your builds. Like, I, here's my experience with pickups: is that like I have the exact same pickups in almost every guitar that I have mm -hmm. of Anderson. 
and they all sound completely different. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, I've also felt Woods being completely different, all this stuff. I don't really know where I stand on the tone wood thing, just being honest. I just sure. don't know because part of my belief with pickups is that actually like they are there's like a myth that they're like some consistent thing. And I think that they're a lot more inconsistent than people would like to think. Sure. And as a result of that, it's really hard to dial in on what's good. So in my mind as a manufacturer or even just a builder, you'd like making you know, like guitars for a select audience, you'd want to select an, a manufacturer of pickups who is overall just the most consistent, not just the best sounding, but you know what to get. Because it's like, you know, there's all these pickups out there that are all good, but it's like almost like there's sometimes where you get one that's better than the others. And I don't know. What do you guys well, think about that? Uh, I, I, I would actually, I kind of want to answer that question with, uh, another question or like a, a preface um, regarding Tom Anderson pickups specifically. Um, Cause mm. I've always heard, I, I admittedly don't have a ton of experience with Tom Anderson pickups, but I've always heard that they are a specifically like more of a broadband pickup where they, um, <clears throat> I guess you could say like hear a broader frequency range um, than most other guitar pickups. So, kind of like high, yeah, high five yeah, kind of frequency, yeah. like um, the Q2. So stuff. that would kind of explain your experience of like having that same pickup in multiple different guitars and having all of those sound so, very different. That's true. And then on the other hand of it, so there's a pickup called the IM1. It's uh, Duncan used. I don't know if they even offer anymore, but it was only available through a custom shop order. You couldn't. It, it was never listed on their site, but it was basically the pickup. That was inside of the, uh, you know when Fender did that limited run of Frankenstein clones? It was like 300 of them. And they were the exact Eddie Van Halen guitar. And he like played a couple oh, yeah. and he couldn't. So the pickup like that's in that is. he taped up a bunch of them or something? Like was that yes, the one? So that, the pickup that's in that guitar is a Seymour Duncan IM1. And I know this because my buddy has literally ordered about 35 <laughs> of them. I'm not kidding. Holy crap. And uh, yeah, he has them in all of these different guitars. I have them in my Mermaid, mm. um, or just a bridge pickup, and it's amazing. It's basically a degaussed El Nico 5. I think it's El Nico 5, degaussed El Nico 5, like path style. But sure. my point being is that even this pickup, which is a master wound pickup by all of them are done by MJ, they, like, I took this pickup and I put it, that's, I, I took it out of my Mermet and I put it in one of my Andersons and it sounded awful. And I put it back in my Mermet and it sounded great. And there's this weird thing where I'm like, man, I don't really know what's what. I don't know if it's a pickup <laughs> difference. I don't know if it's, uh, you know, each pickup individually, it suits something better. But it's like I've heard that same pickup in multiple guitars of the same woods and the exact same spec, and it always sounds mm -hmm. a little bit different. Chris, this sounds like the uh, the RGA one two. I was going to say the exact issue. same thing. <laughs> uh, what do you mean? I, so both Alex and I have had uh, Ibanez RGA one twenty ones, and mm -hmm. I ended up trading mine away, uh, kind of regrettably in retrospect but anyway um i tried a ton of different pickups in that guitar probably more than any other guitar that i've ever owned because i wanted it to like be the guitar for me so badly and um i listed up listed up for sale um you know sailor trade and the pickup set that i ended up putting in it was what i thought to be uh, kind of a throwaway pickup set that I had taken out of my Strandberg OS6. It was a Seymour Duncan JB Jazz set. 
um, that, in my opinion, sounded horrible in the Strandberg. And then I put it in the RGA 121, and it was like a match made in heaven. They sounded absolutely fantastic. And I was like, well, uh, guitar's already wow. on the way out the door, so <laughs> uh, see ya. <laughs> you see, it's, it's, it's such a perplexing thing. Do you, have you guys seen any of those videos from that one guitar player, Jim Lill? He's a country kind of guy. He plays in Anderson, but he did these videos about like uh, what gives. He's done a couple of videos that are really thought provoking, like what gives a cabinet its sound or what makes a guitar. Like, is it the pickup? Is it the scale length? And he did all these really extensive tests. And he did this one where he took a, uh, I think it was a Duncan of some sort, and he put it in his Anderson, and then it, he played like an, he tuned it to open D or whatever it was, and played a chord. And then he took his literally his workbench, and he took two workbenches, put them exactly 25 and a half inches away, strung it up, tuned it, like he put a bridge on his workbench and then some tuners, and he tuned it up and put the pickup the exact same distance. And there was no single difference in sound. I've listened on so many different speakers, uh, my phone, my head, every, every single source, and there was no difference in the sound. But my ex my experience is that there's a massive difference, but it's a very confusing thing. I don't know if you get, if it's a fun video to watch. If you guys I seen I've yeah, seen that, that video, like didn't that video just get published like a couple of months ago? Yeah, um, yes. I've yeah. seen yeah. it linked all over the place. Um, and in fact, I think uh, when we were talking to Adam yesterday, he mentioned that video and also mentioned mm -hmm. that it was a flawed experiment, but didn't delve into why. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll have to bring him on yeah, again. Uh, Objection yeah. hearsay. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, I've not watched the video, so no, I'm I mean, not sure. It, to me, the mat, like, kind of what I like now about guitars is that they're inconsistent. And I know that sounds weird, but it's like, I'm, I mean, I have custom guitars, like all my Andersons I ordered, you know, and I, I haven't bought any that are like just out of a shop, but right. like, I'm almost more inclined to do that now just because like, I really believe if you find something that you like, you know, just play that, you know, like why, why approximate it with something sure. else, you know, but it's, it's a weird kind of, of dichotomy as a guitar player, you know, wanting this kind of result and then. Maybe on the end of it, it's not really that way. Like, my telly sounds like a Les Paul, you know, on steroids. It makes no sense, but it does. You know, it's like it has a, it's a telly bridge, ash body, maple neck. and It's not twangy. It has balls. Like, it just yeah. is what it is. And it, it doesn't make sense, but it's like I almost don't want to question it. It's like, okay, cool, that's my guitar now. You yeah. know, it's like that's what I'll do. I mean, but I, I found that, like... Uh, you know, as a guitar player first and then, you know, delving into guitar building, I found that my my expectations of what this particular instrument's going to sound like kind of overpowers my ability to sometimes just accept what it truly is. Mm. Um, like, when I build a guitar, this most recent one that I built that's at, over at a Soul Belly Barbecue... Um, it you know I just love the name of that place. Oh, it's anything. so wow. good too. If you're in if you're in the Vegas area and are in the uh, the arts district, um, you got to hit them up. Like the food there is phenomenal. They do they have live music too. And so I I met the chef through um, one of the nephrologists in at the hospital that I work at, and the chef was on a bunch of the cooking shows. I was actually watching an episode of Beat Bobby Flay. And randomly, oh, wow. I see uh, Chef um, Bruce up there, and I'm like, I'm like, babe, look at this!" And he's like, "Oh my God, it's it, it's Bruce!" Um, but yeah, he he he's a he's a good musician too. He plays with one of the mm -hmm. bands there called the Hot Sauce Band, and they're phenomenal. 
And nice. so I, I built this guitar for the the barbecue joint, and it has their logo on it and everything. And it's a simple build, you know, rosewood neck, rosewood fretboard, um, you know, ash body, um, in my little like Tele Les Paulish single cut type of shape. Nothing too fancy, but the pickups I used in it were from um, uh, Tim McNelly. And okay, I've heard great things about those. He, he's, he's, he winds some really unique stuff, and I've been really gravitating towards the single cut, I'm not single cut, single coil um, sound, but with a bit of hum canceling. And he makes a pickup called the Stagger Swagger. I know, <laughs> nice. cool name. And I originally got into these pickups because of Dean Gordon from Dean Gordon Guitars. Oh, yeah. I've actually... Uh, Dean sent me one of his uh, guitars in, like, a couple of years ago. Oh, no Check way. Out. That's it really, awesome. It was really cool. Yeah, Dean's awesome, dude. Yeah, he's a cool guy, man. We're, we're going to have him on at some point as well because he's, he's been doing this for quite some time. Yeah, shout out Dean Gordon, dude. He's he, I've, yeah, I've known him for so long. Like, I remember I started talking to him, like, 2013, 2014, yeah. and then... Yeah, he. I remember he sent me this one guitar. I think it was the one that looked like the uh, Satriani Chrome. Oh, one. nice! Yeah, had, I remember uh, that one. Yeah, it was. I was living in Colorado, so it would have been 2016. It was really cool. It was different. I was like, dude, this is. He he wanted my feedback on it, and I was like, man, I don't know if I'm the guy for this. I was like, this is like a different. This is a different approach. I was like, this is really cool. Yeah, I, I dig and, his uh, stuff, and he he turned me on to to Tim McNelly. Um, just, I, I mean, initially, and I, and I, you know, admittedly, I, I hate saying it, but it was because I was judging a cover by its book. Like, it, they just looked cool. And then I heard some of the sound. I'm like, I'm going to give this guy a try. And so I tried um, some of his pickups in one of my builds, and I just adored it just because it was this strange uh, noise-canceling hybrid between a single-coil P- P90 and a humbucker. Mm. And I made a, uh, a demo clip, which is on my, my Instagram. I think it's like the second to most recent post I did. Just me playing that guitar before I handed it over to um, to the barbecue place. And a bunch of my friends, they, they commented like, oh, these, these look like humbuckers, but it sounds like a, like a really heavy single coil. I'm like, yeah, these things are awesome. But I realized like that build, I wanted to keep so badly because of the way like I connected with it. And it's it's just that, it was like, there's some builds you just you just instantly connect with the either by the way that's made, the way it sounds, or a combination. And unfortunately for me, I know when I have that feeling, then it's like it's good enough to leave leave my possession yeah. to go to someone yeah. else. I'm I'm curious. I mean, I would imagine that's really hard to do if you play a guitar that you want to keep and you can't. I mean, that's probably that would drive me nuts. <laughs> that's not. I'd be like, dude, this is my guitar. Sorry, yours is delayed yeah, or, or I, something. Uh, I, I so wanted to keep that one too. How uh, how do, how would you say that those Magnellis compared to the P rails? I you, you know I like the innovation of the P rail and I like the the use of it with the triple shot humbucker rings, even though I hate humbucker Dude. rings. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but if I were, it, it's one of those things where I'm interested to see what Adam from Elysian does with his P rail type uh, model. Me too. Cause I think he's going to do a better yeah. job with it. And I'd like to just give a shout to the Anderson PQs, which are uh, silent P90 style as well. Oh, I got a humbucker size. I'm, I'm on. They're, that's my jam. They're, they are, Remarkable. I'm gonna have to get um, my hand on a set of those for sure. Yeah, they, it's called PQ, and then the humbucker size one is called a PH, and it's, PQ, it can PH. fit okay. in any humbucker size. I will, I will, I will seek those out after this. 
but yeah, the um, the P rails. Like my philosophy, and, and when I have residents in the hospital, I, I I go I teach on this philosophy too. It's like if you're gonna do something, you 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 can't half acid. You have to whole mm. acid all yeah. the time. <laughs> um, and the P rails are one of those things where the innovation is out of this world. It is something that is super cool, but I don't feel like it does any one of the three sounds. Optimally. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and so, you know, if you if you really don't care for, you know, the full sound of either one of the three sounds, then it, it'll it'll fit the groove that you're looking for. But if you're someone who has tried a real P90, a real single coil, and a really good humbucker, you'll know what you're missing already. Mm-hmm. And even though the one I made a clip on it on on my SoundCloud um, with the P P Rail Hot with the one with the Nico Eight magnet. I like it, and I mean, I, I think I sent it to you, Chris, as well. I mean, it sounds good, but it's still lacking. Yeah. And so, yeah. if I really want something to kind of edge more on that jangly, clean, uh, clanky, rude sound, but still has some um, hum canceling, I'll go with the Stagger Swaggers. If I want something just more brute force P90, I'll go ask Adam for some of his humbucker size P90s because mm-hmm. humbucker size P90s are notoriously not very P90-ish. Because of his tuned aperture um, bobbin and his his patent, it pushes out those wines a lot more, so you still get a lot of that clank and rudeness. And I have a, a clip I made of that, too, um, on my uh, SoundCloud, and you can hear that. It just sounds like you're, like, slamming uh, power cables on the ground with distortion. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I look at that. So, like, if I want something to have a certain sound, I will go with the... F- the one pickup that really idolizes that kind of sure. sound. Yeah, I'm gonna need to get um, Adams like some at least some pictures of the design that he was talking about. How he has like uh, pickup cradles that easily like slot into the back of a body for pickup testing, um, so that he can just like hot swap pickups to to check them oh, out. Because yeah. I like I've had a set of his HSP 90s for two years, and I've years not now? installed yeah. them in anything, so I have no idea what they sound like. Because <laughs> like, I, I I still say you gotta just drop them in, man. On something. Yeah, the only them. guitar I would want to put them in is the the Cetra that I have the the Neo hybrids in, though. So I'm like, well, I'm not sure. gonna pull those out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I had a question actually for you guys about pickups in their position yeah. in a guitar because like i guess you know the idea of yeah. putting swapping you know you swap a pickup in a guitar you have a harness that allows you to like fit you know let's say it's like something weird where you can put like a single coil in a humbucker slot like you know adapter or whatever and the ultimate problem is that you know every kind of i don't want to say every maker but it's often that the pickups are placed in di- slightly different positions and i've even heard the same exact thing about the position of the nut like there's some big companies that move the nut ever so slightly because they don't want to pay the buzz feet and patent thing right so they move the nut and they don't tell anyone about it so that way they can just have somewhat of a sweetened tuning even without intonating mm. it you know it's like these little subtle things that builders do so with you guys what do you think about that like you know the positioning the personal preference of where the pickup are and then maybe even where the nuts place maybe it's not exactly 25 and a half but subtly sure, off man. yeah this is a great question and i know chris and i have talked extensively yeah. about this you want you want to go sure first, chris? uh so for the bridge pickup from what i have heard and what i understand what is considered kind of the industry standard 
is that your high E saddle, um, which is your intonation point, that should be the exact uh, same measurement as your total scale length. So let's say a 25 and a half inch scale instrument. <clears throat> um, if you measure from that high E saddle to your uh, bridge pickup route, um, that should be about, you know, give or take a millimeter, uh, about an inch. Um, so, but you just said give or take, right? So that's what I'm talking about. Like how, you know, like Nolly's new guitar, how, uh, he like made a big deal about how it's the pickup position and they calculated it and it's like, or they, maybe they, they shot out like the best spot yeah. for the bridge pickup so, for that guitar. So right? I, so, so, like, so yeah, I, like I, I would say give or take a millimeter at most. Um, I personally prefer to uh, make that distance a little bit shorter. So I usually measure it at seven eighths of an inch um, just to bump the bridge pickup a tiny little bit closer to the bridge. Um, the reason why I don't move it too much is because that one inch standard is where the bridge pickups are being voiced by uh, the pickup mm -hmm. manufacturer. So if you alter that too much, especially in the bridge position, like let's say you cut that in half and move it down to a half an inch, uh, you're going to have like no low end um, and it's going to be a super shrill, uh, thin sound from your bridge pickup. From the bridge pickup, say, you know, you look at the neck pickup and obviously there, depending on the amount of frets that you have and the kind of like truss rod adjuster that you might want, that's going to be a different position of that neck pickup. And I found that a lot of times that like a lot of older pickups that are made for like just strats, mm -hmm. like 22 frets. You know they're not really meant for 24 frets they just aren't um in that kind of way like i remember steve Vai. i think it was the the breed if i remember correctly it was like one of his early pickups that came out with demarzio is that they like specifically voiced it for that 24th fret and before that pickups really hadn't been done that same degree you know so it's it's, what do you guys think about that and like the placement of say 24 fret pickups because like i like 24 frets as a player because it's just sym symmetrical yeah, and you get the, and the double the, octave of course and then, you know, arguably, you know, just even the frets that aren't the 24th are a little bit easier to achieve access-wise, more typically than not, you know. So I like that. So the um, so the interesting thing is, is it's funny you bring this up also because about, like, a couple weeks ago, I think Pete Thorne made a, uh, a post on his Instagram saying, like, you know, this is the reason why he likes 22 fret because this is where, you know, the belly of the fundamental is and that's where you get certain tones but the the problem with a lot of those theories where they're when they look at um when they look at like a the way a string moves right you if you look at the nut and you look at the bridge as the two nodes the mm -hmm. endpoints, and then you pluck the string the greatest amplitude in the you know up and down on the string is in the middle whatever the middle point is right and so they look at and then if you you know put um you know, press down in the middle, then you have two more more bellies in the front and bottom that form nodes as well. Mm -hmm. The idea there, some people will say the reason why people in quotes like the the sound of uh, twenty two fret guitar is because the pickup is more optimally placed around where the greatest um, fluctuation of the string is. But mm. immediately, I, I'll chime in and say, but the moment you place your fingers on the fretboard, you've now yeah, changed yeah, it's the move. It's entirely yeah, negated. It's entirely negated. <clears throat> yeah. And so, like, I, I, 
the neck pickup placement does matter, but I don't I don't have the answer of what the optimal placement is. I just put it right to the bottom end of whatever the neck yep. I have. But for the bridge, I'm with Chris in the sense where uh, I just as we were talking about it right now, I went and just picked up my my personal guitar, which I feel has my favorite balance of bass mid treble as far as the bridge pickup goes. Um, and I measured the pull piece, the bottom row pull piece to the top of the uh, saddle of both ends, and it's about one and an eighth of an inch. Mm. And so I looked at um, we we were talking about um, when I got my um, my Carillion guitar uh, from Chris Dillia, beautiful, beautiful guitar, immaculately made. Like seriously, it's a work of art, and I love playing it. But it is a neck through, and I have some, in my mind, a lot of the neck throughs have a bit of a woolly low end, which you either need to EQ to make it a bit tighter or do something. Um, And in those pickups I had in my head, I was like, if the bridge pickup was like an eighth of an inch closer to the bridge, maybe it would solve that wooliness in that low end. I don't know, but because I've never built a neck through. Because bolt-ons seem to be the one that I gravitate towards most, and it, sure. it seems to be a recurrent issue in all the neck-through guitars that I own. And well, so, dude, I'll just tell you as a player, my issue with anything that's like you know a, uh, a neck-through or even a set neck is that frankly, like repairing it, yeah. it's just harder. <laughs> and uh, you know, like that's the only. By the way, like I I love my Andersons to death, and like fortunately they're going to be around for a long, long time, so I'm not really worried. But like you know, it's a pretty idiosyncratic neck joint. So the problem is if I was in like Timbuktu or something, and I the neck snapped, you know, I'm not going to be able to necessarily go to the shop and just get a new neck. And that is to me the absolute joy of like just a Fender is that there's so many replacement parts. It's kind of yeah. like an old car. Oh, yeah. And you know, to me that's really attractive is having stuff that you can replace. So, like, when I think about a, a, a neck through and then how accident-prone I am, I'm like, dude, that hasn't matched 15 years. <laughs> but, like, you know, like, or a set neck. It's like, I, like I, I love Les Pauls, but, you know, it's just, it's not optimal in terms of adjustability. And then you're like, oh, I want a different neck on it. So now I have to heat this up and have a good guy do this and then use good glue and then set it yeah. correctly. It just there's a, It's a lot of a pain that... Personally, I feel like there's a lot of romanticism of this stuff, but from a, this is just like from a player. Is I feel like it's just a manufacturing yeah. nightmare. Like, you know, like I don't want to have to think about this stuff if I'm on stage or on tour. Like, this is just I get that a guitar might sound good, but it's gonna sound good until the moment that I have to fix it. <laughs> and if I can't fix it, then I'm really screwed with a lot of freight that I'm gonna have to ship somewhere. You know. Oh yeah. So it's kind of like. I, I like bolt-ons. Um, I don't. I don't see myself ever not doing that as my main thing. Just for that reason, like it's it's easier to replace. Like it wouldn't be optimal, but if one of my Anderson necks broke or something, I could just throw another of the necks on there yep. for a quick fix. But I can't do that with a, a set neck. Um, at least not with my current luthery skills. <laughs> so it's uh, you know I, that's what I do appreciate about guitars that are somewhat simple and how they're made and. Um, and not too 
just like not too personal in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, for sure. But yeah, I'm sure. I, mean, I know you both. You guys probably make guitars where you can't really replace the parts. So I'm not trying to diminish that per se. But oh no, I mean, I think on the on the contrary, the way at least the way I build, and I'm I'm you know, Chris and I utilize pretty similar tools. Technically, if one of our customers, um, you know, snaps their neck or something. I don't know, Chris. I, I I would just pull up the same file I did on on Illustrator, and then I'll be able to cut one out on with the shit with the uh, origin. Yeah, I use. Um, I've, I've thought about this a lot actually, because uh, a lot of it was due to my buddy Alec um, that bought. Uh, his guitar pickup story was uh, kind of interesting. He, uh, or I should say, received his Genova, he uh, was on his way flying from Ohio to Korea and had a layover in the Bay Area. Um, and so during his layover, he picked up his guitar to take with him to Korea for to go teach over there for, I think he was over there for like over a year. Is this Newman? Yeah, yeah, Alec Newman. Oh, yeah, he's really yeah. good. And uh, like throughout that whole process, I was like, so, okay. <laughs> You know, if he's if he's over there and like, because you know, I'm not familiar with what the like the climate and humidity and stuff like that is like in Korea. I'm like, if something unforeseen happens to this neck, like, could I build a replacement neck for him and like ship it over there? And I was thinking about, it, I was like, actually, yeah, I that wouldn't be that hard. I could totally do that. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, man. No, it's like we uh, we are we're fortunate that. Um, you know, in an effort to kind of move with the times, too. Um, sometimes our shop space doesn't quite allow us to have a full CNC machine yet. Um, we we both have these little nifty uh, handheld, essentially a handheld CNC machine, where we uh, we kind of act as like the the gantry, and it it's essentially autocorrect in your hands. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping to get the uh, the Shaper guys on here soon. I know Sean, I'm not Sean, um, Sam and Tanya. Um, and I know, Chris, you know um, another one of their, their uh, teammates, yeah, too. Yeah, I know Dylan, but I don't know if he's still there. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it'd be fun to have them on since I know they just launched a couple new uh, new products yeah. as well. Um, I mean, I imagine it's pretty different, you know, these days with the whole supply chain thing and planning out, you know, what's available versus what's not. I mean, that's kind of even like maybe more so for me than like a neck is like hardware. Like there's this one bridge I really want to check out called the Vega Tram. And I have one here, but I'm hesitant to use it because if something messes up with it, it's not like every single part you have to get from the company you know you it's not like a goto where you can just go get a new saddle for it right and that's a real big turnoff to me and then it and just you know it's like okay we'll buy a backup it's like oh the 300 bucks like that's Ooh. it's easier said that yeah they're really expensive bridges but it's that kind of simple thing of like man i want to make sure that if something happens when i'm in the moment which has definitely happened to me before like i've i've broken things in my guitars plenty of times and I uh, needed to get replacements for it or, you know, take something off another guitar or another piece of equipment. It's happened enough times to where I think about it. You know, it's not like it happens a lot, but that just that nature is like, okay, like I, I want to be considered that what I'm using, I'll be able to retrofit something later. That's why I also really like Floyd Rose is because it's pretty much just drop in. You know, it's yeah. like it's just a preset thing or like a fender trim. You know, there's some, uh, some bridges out there like, 
that have their like the Vega has its own. Um, you can put it on any bridge, but like it has its own like where the post should be. So I can't put it on like my Anderson. Right. So it's like I can't retrofit that onto that. And it's like, well, why wouldn't I be able to? And just I get it. You know, I get that there's differences, but kind of what attracts me when I'm looking at stuff these days is is things I'll either be able to get replacements for or be able to mod in the future and retrofit just because of the nature of parts and different companies, you know, going out of business and stuff over time. Right. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you also, your instrument, like Tom Anderson instruments, I mean, they're, they're, I have a bunch of their, their pictures, um, in my, uh, inspiration folder for, for guitars awesome. for years. And I mean, it's like, those aren't, aren't instruments you really want to make modifications to lightly. Um, yeah. if anything, you want a drop in replacement and if other companies really aren't catering to a lot of that, then that's a market they're kind of losing out on. Well, you know, that, that, an interesting thing on that is that so for that Tangerine Dream video, I had one of my Andersons refinished for it. Um, and so it's like, I should also mention the guitar that's in the video wasn't even like, it, it was it was in parts like on my desk, like while I was recording the song. So it's just for the look of it. I had it done for the video. But I was planning on just having it refinished by the, you know, this one third party guy who does some stuff for them. And I was just going to put it together myself, like, oh, whatever, I'll just bolt it on. And they were like, dude, do not, please let us do this. Because like, <laughs> if you don't, you will crack the neck joint because it's right. that trapezoidal yep. neck joint. And if it's seated wrong or if there's like paint that drips over or something and it's not sanded down exactly right, it can put enough stress on that neck joint over time to just completely crack it and make it unusable. I was like, okay, well, that's good to know. So it's like... You know, that's a warning to anyone who wants to get their Anderson refinished, like send it back to them, you know, it's like, so it's like things like that. But, you know, that's why also companies like Music Man, like they don't let you like, they, they, they take your old neck and then they send you a new one. Right. Like, they don't just send one in the mail. Like they force you to send it in and, you know, it's, there's reasons because, you know, you want, it's kind of like Apple, right? It's like, it sucks sometimes that it costs so much, but it's because they have direct quality control over every part of it, you know, in their warranty process. It's like, it kind of makes sense. Like when you look back on it. Yeah. But as a player, it is a little frustrating. Like, there's been a couple times I've hit up builders to do stuff, and they're like, oh, I don't do that. And I'm like, but I'm paying you money. Right. And like, I don't do that. And it's like, okay, I get it, but come on, dude. <laughs> you know, but it's, it, you know, it's like things like that. Where you're like, okay, so you won't just make, you won't just shave this neck down for me. And it's like, no, I only put, you know, my own guitars together. It's like, okay, yeah. fine. Yeah. You know, and I, I get it. But it's like, as a player, sometimes you just want that more, like, car repair mentality. Like, just get it running. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like I, uh, I know a lot of builders do uh, repairs is just you know like a, a way to sort of like sustain the building side of their business. But I like most repairs I will refuse to do because <laughs> it's like there's so much I don't know about how uh, those builders put their guitars together that like I don't you know I don't mm. know what type of uh, like finish was used on X guitar like in a certain year and stuff like that. It's like yeah. there's there's too many variables. So yeah, most repairs unless it's something like super straightforward, I'll generally refer to somebody else. Yeah, I mean it's it. I I think that like as a player, sometimes I want things that are a little unconventional. Like I was trying to hit up people for a while to like get a claw built into my <laughs> guitar, and like no one would do it. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm literally asking you to yeah. do it for money, and no one would do it. And it was just like, as a like, I'm just, 
I'm just venting my frustrations, which is like sometimes the player is right. You know, it's like not saying the customer is always right, but you're like, dude, I just want this done. And it's hard sometimes to find people who will roll with that all the way. You know, and I completely get it because it's like people's yeah. names are on it. But it's also like, you know, sometimes experimentation. That's why I like about like guys like Frank Zappa or like Alan Holdsworth, where they would just try out the wildest things. And uh, specifically Frank Zappa, he would just mod his guitars to death, or Eddie Van Halen, and it's like he did what other people wouldn't sure. do for him, just because it was it was like kind of stupid, but it worked, <laughs> you know. It was like no offense, but it was just like okay, like I, I've taken a one of my Andersons. I really did a terrible job on. You guys would cry and laugh at the same time. So I put a bigger block in one of mine that has that baby Floyd or the mini Floyd, you know, the one with the non-fine tuners that Guthrie kind of made big again. It's like the vintage yeah. style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's a great bridge. Funnily enough, it doesn't flutter as well as like a normal huh. Fender bridge, would huh. you think? But anyways, um, but, so with that bridge, I was like, well, I just want to try something out, so I put a bigger block on it, and the Anderson wasn't routed for that. So I was like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, sand it out. Oh, and little did I know yeah. how much work that would be. <laughs> oh, it's not a sanding job, bro. <laughs> It's, dude, I took like a wood shaver to this thing. It looks like a five-year-old did it. And uh, the the only saving grace is I know I'll never sell it, and it's just funny. But I mean, it literally looks like a like it, it like someone was going through an unstable time of their life, and they did something in their guitar. And I was completely like, I just wanted it to you know go up all the way. I want to do it nice, yeah, squealy yeah. up like satch and buy. But it took. I mean, it's disgusting. It's grotesque. And like, I I, I know I, the pain. That you that you're that you felt, um, and it's funny because I I just told Chris I think yesterday that um, it re- this reminds me of when I ve- when I first built my first guitar body with a Warmoth neck, but I didn't know <laughs> I just only had hand tools and I didn't know there was such a thing as a planer, and so I I removed the thickness that I needed with the stupid chisel and it looked like a, <laughs> such a hack job. Until someone told me, they're like, you know, this thing exists, right? And I'm like, oh. Yeah, dude. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I used ch- I definitely use a chisel. And at a certain point, when I couldn't find the chisel at first, I used, like, a screwdriver and a hammer. Oh, no. And uh, here, I'm sending, I'm sent a picture to Chris. So keep in mind, this is one of my, this is one of my ginger burst angels. Oh, and I, I need this thing worked on, but I'm so afraid to, to give it to the guys at the shop. Because I don't. <laughs> they're like, look at my boy. <laughs> You massacred him. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is I, then I had this idea. I was like, okay, what if I inset the uh, the back plate? And I was like, well, it couldn't be that hard to, like, you know, take out. So I started sanding it. I was like, oh, this is way harder than I thought. So I just stopped. So it's like some of the back is just sanded off for no reason, it looks like. But, yeah. Chris, it, what do you think I of mean, that, I mean, it's dude? pretty spectacular. Hold on. I'm going to send this to Alex really quick. <laughs> well, you can see the block is pretty fat. And it it, it does. Okay. It, I mean, like, function works. over form, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So this is the kind of person I am. You know, it describes that. I wish. <laughs> oh, if, if there's a th- this is wonderful. You managed to get. Yeah, so th- d- does it still only have two springs? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Because I like it nice and loose, and I just realized they're in the wrong space right now. But, um, hey, if it works, it works. Good. But yeah, I, I so mean, I'm, you can I'm, just call this. You know, um, I think I see the chisel marks. Um, oh, there's a lot of different. It's kinds a of relic. Tools here. Uh, it's a yeah. I was gonna say. I mean, it's a feature now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something. It's that, yeah, not a bug, a feature. It's like but, Tom uh, Anderson. If you're listening, that there there's your uh, your uh, Sean ass signature. Oh yeah, 
feature. Uh, yes, on. exactly. Yeah, that's hundred percent. And uh, but yeah, it worked. You know, so it's like I was like, okay, that was cool. Like I like that, the tinker. That looks like too, it was but, a Floyd um, upgrade uh, block and Fu tone block. You know, I'm gonna be honest. I found it in my Perfect. kitchen cabinet. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm actually 100 percent serious. Like the island in my kitchen, it was in that cabinet. There was like a couple. There was like a box of guitar parts. And my buddies and I just took it, and I was like, "Cool." It's like, can you grab the and, box? Uh, it's next to the uh, the weeds. <laughs> yeah, it was. At, it was next to the uh, the air duster. Actually, like the uh, can, it was like five canned airs. I was like sick, but uh, and I then proceeded to use that for all the. I didn't know how much dust it would make either. It was. I started. Inside <laughs> doing it, and I, like I was like, "This is so stupid." This is awesome, you know. But uh, yeah, that's so that's like one of my main Andersons too. But it works, and uh, I'm really happy with it because it just it feels I don't know the larger block kind of changed uh-huh. the tone. Yeah. But I also thought it could probably be completely psychological. Um, I, know, I, th- I, I think really there's kn- something I, to it. I mean, Chris and I were talking about this first episode, second episode, uh, I think second, second episode. I think. Second episode, yeah, it was our longer. Cause, cause Chris um used to get blocks made for his thin bodies, and mm-hmm. I know when I would use thicker uh, hip shot base plates, and um when I would just have a block made also, just as a thick uh, string ferrule, I noticed that there's definitely something that's changed, and it's not just psychological. Yeah, yet. I, I, I think the uh, most notable change that I. Uh, experienced was in my very first uh, Tele style guitar that I built from scratch uh, that I just made a mm. rosewood body or uh, sorry redwood body <coughs> um, out of like scrap wood that I found in our backyard uh, in California and when I first put it together I like drilled and pressed string ferrules and you know played it a whole bunch and recorded some clips and then uh, I pulled those and I routed a cavity for um, uh, KGC uh, Killer Guitar Components. They make a really hefty uh, tele-specific like string block um, that you drop into the back of the body. <clears throat> and so I did that and you know kind of like played and recorded the same uh, the same samples into a Logic session. And listening back to the two, there is like a very noticeable difference in the in the fundamental wow. between both of them. See, that's that's interesting because I've seen, you know, like those advertisements for blocks like uh, I saw like Jeff Loomis just came out with a, a signature one actually, Stone Tone. Oh. Oh. And uh, I remember my, one of my first names, the dude came up to me and he's telling me about these things and I knew nothing. I was like, dude, I don't you know how it comes off. Oh, I was like, yeah. dude, I don't know. Like this sounds a little I was like, I don't know if having like a rare like earth <laughs> mineral is gonna like make me go to the stratosphere of tone. Everything like, proposed I to you don't... at Nam sounds like it's probably snake oil. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's 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 like being on crypto YouTube. <laughs> oh You're my like what? God, yeah. And uh, like the with that being said, then like I heard demos. And I was like, okay, that actually sounds pretty like convincing. And there, you know, there's a couple of things. Like, have you guys ever heard of that one um, device where it vibrates your guitar over like you know, for, you can set it for however much time, and it basically, because of the, fa- like, say if you have a guitar that's not sad for a while and it kind of feels a little stiff, it apparently changes the tone. All the demos I hear of it, are they seem legit. But it seems like, it's like one of those things where you're like, nah, no way. And then you're like, no, oh, actually, that's pretty huh. cool. Like, it, it vibrates the whole guitar, or is it kind of like an Ebo, which is like... 
it, it, you put it on, it, I think it's kind of like an Evo and then it vibrates all six strings, but it basically simulates playing it for a really long time. And like I used to do a thing when I'd get a new guitar where I'd set it in front of my cabinet while I practiced just to kind of get more sound waves going through it and just to maybe like help it set in and out of like maybe some ritualistic like, I don't know, like I, some esoteric concept that would change something, but it seems to to do something. I don't know. What do you guys think about it? Like guitars breaking in and sounding different just by themselves, like without changing hardware, like literally just changing just being over time. an assembled instrument. Um, yeah, and just more it gets played, it just. I, sounds I'll say different. that I personally um, have not experienced anything very notable in that regard, but. Um, when Chris and I met up with Angel Vivaldi in SF at w one of his shows, like years and years ago, um, he was he wasn't endorsed by Charvel yet. He was still playing his Ibanez, um, and this was like just when I had started designing and building my own guitars. Um, he was like, "Man, I would love to have you build me a guitar one day, but like build it and then play it for a year and then send it to me." <laughs> <laughs> it's like he did not want really? anything to do with a freshly built guitar, which I found really interesting. That is interesting. Wow. I mean, I mean. So on that, uh, Eric Johnson had an Anderson built. I actually played it. Um, no, by the way, this is like I think this is the first time this has ever been mentioned. So exclusive. Oh, so uh, Tom Anderson built Eric Johnson a Strat in. Uh, it was twenty years ago, or something, or twenty-five something years ago. It was like. It was in the 90s or whatever. No, you know, it might have even been the 80s. It was 30 years ago, sorry. So it was, uh, you know, was it 82? Or no, 90? God dang it. I don't know. It was a while back, man. And uh, when they sent it to him, he said, hey, it's a great guitar, but I don't play guitars that are not this amount of years old. And by the time I played it, they were joking. They're like, oh, we should just send it back to him. But um, they eventually, they made it into like a, an experimental platform for pickups. So it was kind of all beat up and had like a weird pick guard on it and stuff. But I played it. So I, of course I played some Eric Johnson fives on it, sure. and uh, that was sick. But uh, anyways, yeah. So it's like some guitar players have that thing where they won't play, and a guitar that's not been broken in. That's and fascinating. I'm gonna be honest. I kind of get it. I don't know why I do, but even some of my own guitars, if I ignore them for a while, they don't really ring out well. And I don't even mean the strings. Like just it just doesn't like doesn't jump to life and then if I play it for an hour or two it just seems to come back and maybe it's like a weird tension that's stored in the neck or some kind of uh, vibrational energy we've not yet discovered in the uh, the sure. ether yeah. but uh, you know I don't know but like what do you guys feel about that like do you think that's kind of just psychological it's an interesting concept to be honest I mean if you think about it um, for the most I'd be interested to see if this is something that those same people would feel with like a traditionally you know, wood-based guitar versus something like an uh, Aristides mm -hmm. or Aristides. I, I don't know how to pronounce <laughs> the name, actually. Um, just to see if it was an actual material thing because, like, mm -hmm. the arium or whatever they use, it's likely non-porous and, you know, is, is essentially made so you can have something that feels and resonates like, like wood does but doesn't have the same pitfalls like shifting with, uh, you know, humidity and temperature and all that. The, yeah, well, humidity is a good point. I found that my guitars sound a lot different with humidity too. I've and I've recorded examples like where uh, when I was living in Colorado, it's you know freaking bone yeah, dry. Yeah, it's just there. like so, Idaho. It's you know, so dry I, here. I would, I would take like a wet paper towel, put it in my guitar case overnight, come back, and it was like the thing would crumple into <laughs> dust. You know, so I found that if I left my guitars out for a couple of days, they started sounding really bad. 
And it almost was the effect of like bad intonation, like when the guitar just doesn't want to ring out. Yeah. But of course, it was just the same thing there. And then I'd hydrate it, and it would sound good. And I was like, okay, this is not my imagination. Like I literally have to do this to yeah. for recording. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm interested to see. Like, there's a there's a build I built like two years ago. Um, it was with the first time I made my modified like single cut, tele ish thing. Um, and I sent. I, I'm here in Vegas, and um, it was when I was in mm. Reno, which is same state. But um, still dry as hell, and I sent it to Boston for uh, to my buddy Roger, um, and I actually should ask him to just record some stuff for me just to see if there's any sort of difference. Just because Boston's super a lot more humid than where I'm at right now. Actually, everywhere is. Um, yeah. So it, it's interesting. The idea of the vibrations changing the way the guitar reacts is a really interesting concept to me. It sounds, you know, just as a knee-jerk, because I'm a skeptic, like it may be mm-hmm. just psychological. But, I mean, if you think of any sort of organic thing that's affected by elements, I mean, why should... Maybe it just... One of those things that de-stresses a guitar allows it to essentially uh, sympathize or uh, resonate, you know, a little bit more free um, initially. Like, can I just is a kind of a stretch routine for the guitar itself who knows it's an interesting concept to me well sean Sean, do you i I mean do you have you have instruments with uh roasted maple necks and fretboards right i i'd be curious if you experience that same uh i guess phenomenon with those instruments i do i definitely do and uh you know the irony too man i I have to say like i i'm not really a believer in the whole roasted thing in terms of stability because some of my roasted necks move more than my mahogany necks (laughs) interesting and uh yeah i just think it's kind of uh i mean i like the look of it that's why i go for it um but yeah my hard rock strat like i never have to freaking change that at all but like multiple of my roasted necks um and even like non-andersons i've used with roasted necks are unstable sometimes and i just think it's the wood itself but i think it's just my opinion i just think it's kind of one of those like i don't know i like if people want stability just put carbon fiber rods in it like don't joke around it's true and yeah for the bigger (laughs) ones or the seven strings i'll put carbon fiber rods but one thing i've seen for sure and i have both a collection of like perfectly quarter sawn roasted maple necks and then flat flats on uh, roasted maple yeah. necks, and so typically the roasting process, what it does is because you know they call them um, uh, was it maple saccharum, like it's a sugar, it's a sugar maple. So there's actually like mm-hmm. sugar content in there. So essentially the caramelization, and I don't know if it's they actually will call it the Maillard reaction, like when you roast food, um, you know that the cellular structure actually changes and solidifies a little bit harder, apparently. And so, hmm. but I mean, it does, it won't change the, the nature of the natural product of the wood based on the, the grain. So a quarter sawn product is going to be one more expensive, of course, because there's more waste, but it's always going to be more stable than a lot of the flat sawn necks. So my- we'll check this out. So Anderson <laughs> exclusively uses flat sawn necks for the last 30 huh. years. Serious? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like quarter sawn. <laughs> I mean, they don't look he as good. That- they don't look nearly uh, flat- as good. Uh, he says that over the you know whatever thirty thousand guitars he built, that flat sawn is stable, if not more stable than the quarter sawn. Um, That's fascinating. Does he does he uh, exclusively do one piece necks, or are they is it laminated? 
what do you mean by I, like you, like I, the I the thumb means. side of the neck? Is it one piece of wood or is it like one or two glued together? It's one piece that the fretboards okay, are put sure. on, you know, of course. Um, but yeah, it's just so they're flat sawn. I'd be actually curious if there's a difference between roasted. I never thought about this actually, of roasted quarter sawn versus roasted flat sawn, because there's probably a big difference in how the structures align, and that would affect Definitely. the stability. I'm I'm looking at my my stock like right now. Like I had a a flat sawn and a quarter sawn. I just ran to the garage to get them, and I um. And I noticed that I've, I've had this stash of woods for the last four years, and they've moved with me from Vegas to Reno, through the seasons of Reno, back to Vegas. And the quarter sawn necks ha are still dead flat. They have not moved through the elements. The flat sawn ones, there's a little bit of movement, where if I put them on a flat desk, I can still kind of jiggle them ever so slightly. The other ones, you know it's flat on a flat surface if when you lay it down, it kind of almost creates like a vacuum. Yep. And it's mm -hmm. harder to pick back up, um, and those ones are still s stable, and I would still stand by them. But it's, I am fascinated by uh, Tom Anderson's, um, you know, viewpoint about flat and uh, quarter sawn. Well, I mean, I think, dude, you could probably get Tom on here. He, he's a really cool dude. I love Tom. He's just like, just super humble. Like you know, he you would never know that he invented the modern guitar. Like if it weren't for him, like. Most things that we know probably would not exist. He was the first guy you see and see in guitar. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people don't really like realize like he was the first guy to do like UV curing and like all this different type of stuff. Like he was the first. I, I mean, for um, for his style of neck joint to be at all consistent, he pretty much has to use CNC. Well, um, he used CNC far before that. Like, he introduced Bob Taylor to oh, CNC. Wow. You know, it's like he... So, basically, I'll give you a little... Tom will tell you way more about this, but I'm, an, I'm like, kind of a, a nerd about <laughs> Anderson. So, Tom got his start working... You know, he was a player, and he's a great guitar player, but he started working in a repair shop, and then he started somehow working for Dave oh. Schechter when Schechter was a parts company. So, um, there's a lot of, like, early Schechter stuff that you could consider Anderson kind of adjacent because it's one the same uh, you know neck uh, or sorry headstock like that beak headstock that's where it comes from and the two uh, strap buttons that also came from the really? Schecter thing so yeah so Tom was working with Schecter and then he would you know he did a couple of ghost builds I think for like Van Halen stuff like that because he did some stuff for Kramer too like he was really like entrenched in like the entry of guitar parts market because Schecter was like the OG with that they were the original like parts for modern guitars. Did not. Know so, anyways, um, what ended up happening is that Schechter sold his company to. I, by the way, I could be getting some of this wrong, so I'll let Tom <laughs> clarify this later. But I'm just, I'm pretty sure it was the guy who owned ESP and MI in Japan. So Schechter, um, Dave Schechter, left the company and told Tom, "You need to start your own company." And because of the pickups they developed, Tom was building the Schechter pickups up until just a couple years ago, actually. Um, like the further USA stuff at least but all of that old Schecter equipment went to Tom and then Dave Schecter started working at Fidal and that was the CNC company so he said Tom you gotta check this out for guitars dude so Tom had like the first CNC for guitars wow. ever and uh, yeah it's just dude he's just the you would never know it if you talked to him he's just he, like he wouldn't you'd have to get the stuff out of him I've learned over tons of years but he doesn't just talk about it he's so, like he's just happy to be building stuff you know he, lo yeah. he loves to tinker like, and, do, uh, do you think he'd be willing to uh, to join us for an episode 
Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, you guys are really uh, inquisitive and just nice, and uh, yeah, I'll give I'll give a good word. You know, Tom's just a sweetheart, but he is just you know has decades of knowledge. I mean, Anderson's coming up on their 40th year anniversary pretty Dang. pretty soon. Yeah, they really are. Um, kind of the, but, the original OG builders like. That started yeah. all. Yeah. So he was using a lot of the same building mentality from Schechter to now. But the neck joint came into place, I believe it was 2003 or 2006, one of the two. It was actually fairly recent. And uh, there's still plenty of Andersons out there with the four bolt. And the weird thing is they feel exactly huh. the same. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But the two bolt is pretty cool. I like the access quite a bit. And it's also just, you know, it's a different thought on it. It literally can't shift like right. a four bolt. So it's... It's nice in that regard, but again, you can't replace it as easily. So, you know, there's a couple of uh, of things, but apparently, you know, um, they're still working. You know, they always work on developing and changing things. So, I'm sure that over time, things will continue to to, to develop. Uh, ha- have you? Um, I guess in addition to the the benefit of the neck not being able to shift in that. Uh, trapezoidal neck joint um are you aware of like their uh i guess their reasoning for that design is it supposed to like increase sustain or anything like that no it it was actually because of the stability because with a four bolt you know you can kind of do that thing where you jerk like let's say you hit your bass player when you're playing live and suddenly your e string's a little off the guitar so you know it doesn't it doesn't really matter um, I mean, it, with a traditional four bolt, I should say, like it's going to happen. Um, you can't really avoid it because it's just the two flat surfaces on one another. It's going to shift over time, um, and that was Tom's solution to it, at least. You know, because he he wasn't happy with the other ways to go about it. Um, so that was that was the main reason why. Now I think that as a result, the resonance would be different because you have kind of like that set neck joint on there like where it's it's all sides of it are are capturing capturing that connection so i i just noticed that andersons are super resonant but i've played the or like an early 90s like my buddy theo harau um he's he plays a 92 drop top and i mean it feels just like one of mine you know it's it's weird it's yeah eerie, i mean actually. the uh but. the first time i saw the trapezoidal neck joint on an anderson i was like oh that's interesting and then like within the next couple hours i was like oh i get it because if you think about it he's essentially like increasing the amount of like total contact surface area between the neck and the and the guitar um and i was like that would make sense to like better couple those two um like primary elements of the instrument together uh, so yeah, I've I've always thought that was a super cool uh, design idea. I like it too because you know from the accessibility standpoint, let's say a twenty four fret is that I mean you still run into it. I'm not gonna lie, like it's not it's not like a. I have to be careful with my words here. It's uh it's like, you know how you play some of those like super modern like Ibanezes with that crazy joint where it's just like it's right. not there at all, right, like right. that kind of thing. Like, it's not like that, but because of the nature of that it's tapered, it still fits in the hand really well. And in a way, it's kind of nice because it gives you something to hold on to if you're going for, like, that 24-fret bend. So I like it. Um, And I don't find the horn gets in the way. Um, The Angel, I will say, though, is a bit... It's a bit bigger of a body than a traditional, like, Strat. It's a little bit more like a Dane. Yeah, I've noticed that. Um, It's it's kind of like... Or um, another body that that reminds me of is the... Uh, oh man, I 
Or sorry, soloist. Not yeah, Dinky. the soloist. soloist. And then it, whatever yeah. model the new uh, Jason Richardson Ernie Ball is based off of. Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Cutlass. The God, Cutlass. yeah. Um, those always looked a little larger to me as well. But, um, yeah. So the, the the Angel was designed w- from the, t- the seven strings. So they basically took the seven string body and the idea was that because of the wings, so to speak, of the guitar, like the horns, um, you know, it, that's what they call them on the Angel. It's kind of fun. <laughs> I like that. But uh, because those are a little bit more splayed out in the seven string anyways, what they did is they just kind of cut the body in half. And it's essentially the seven string. Like there's not much change dimensionally from a seven string body, but it's just the butt of it is carved in a way to where it's, you know, it's aesthetically pleasing. But that's how they got away with that. And the new Archangel model, which is the short scale 24 fret, which I think is so cool that they did, that is pretty much a dinky body. So that's what oh, I was being confused. Gotcha. It's kind of like a soloist to a dinky. Now I'm gonna be honest. I prefer the smaller body just because, like, I'm a I'm I'm an Irish <laughs> lad, so I I like that. Um, but you know, I have no problem playing you know it as it is. But you know, for me, like the a guitar that sits on my body perfectly is a Strat, like just a, a good old like sixty Dude, Strat. Yeah, it's a pretty um, it's a pretty mind blowing design, uh, considering how long it it how long ago it came out and how long it's existed. <laughs> it's. Yeah, that Leo Fender didn't really like shred that hard. Like you know? from my it's understanding, crazy. he was primarily a designer that barely played guitar at all. Yeah, man, that's that's just wild to think about. But it's like, it works. You know, the one thing I do like about this modern era is how many guitar players got passionate about guitar. Like you guys both are like players. You know, and, like so is Tom. Like I, and if I built guitars, you know, it'd be coming from a player perspective, and that's a little bit different than just like, oh, let's make a guitar. And I, I like that. You know, that's a cool change that I, I feel is in the industry now. Um, I mean, I know it's always been there, but where it's, like, actually good players. Like, guys who... They, it's not that they couldn't make it. They're just like, I'd rather build guitars. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the... <clears throat> the ang- the, I guess the perspective that I come from, like, I've played guitar, you know, to some degree for the last, like, 20 years. Um and I would never try to sell myself as like a great guitar player. Like I'm fine. <laughs> um, like I'm, yeah, I'm good enough to where, uh, you know, when I hear input from players like yourself or Chris, uh, like I get it and I can translate that into the design of the instrument. Um, and that's kind of where, where I come at sort of like in between a player and a designer. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, I I would love to get into the manufacturing side one day, or at least collaboration, because I have a lot of. I'm an idea man, you know. Like I have love a lot it. of ideas, but no way to ex- yeah, no dude. way to execute them. <laughs> you know, like uh, let's build a clone in it. But like, uh, you know, it's I, I love the possibilities that exist within it, and you know that's what I really value about you know as a fan. Like I I love that like uh, guys like Vi can hit up like Ibanez and be like, yo, make me this Hydra guitar. And they just do it like and then he you know it's like this kind of collaborative process so i'm sure that i'll get more into building and getting involved in a manufacturing sense of like under even just understanding so i can go further with it you know because just it's always growing and I, i'm just so inspired by the people who kind of see things differently yeah you know? 
Yeah. Even, even if it's just changing a trim arm or something. Dude, I'm going to get one of those satched arms and just definitely fiddle around with it and see see what the all the hubbub is about. You, you can put on it you can put on any bridge. I uh you just have to get the trim arm attachment and then you just really get it on there and then glue the shit <laughs> right. of it. Well, I, I'm going to get then, one uh, and try to figure out a non-glue method of <laughs> attachment. I think I think if you wrap the threads with uh, electrical tape or something it should cause enough like expanded enough so you can still wind it in without having to glue. That's true, but I do the thing where I lift up the guitar by the whammy. Yeah, dude, he's so, he's so. a shredder. Come on, <laughs> dude. It's all. Are you kidding? It's just yeah. all for the show. No one needs to do that. But uh, the sensible like, shredder. By the way, like, did you guys? I'm sure you've seen it, but like, I keep rewatching it. Is that video of Herman Lee breaking the neck? Yeah, yeah, not yeah. Not the joint, but the neck itself of his PRS, dude. Oh, no. That is. Wait, was so it a PRS legit. or an Ibanez that, S? That no, he uh, he's developing a PRS. That was a private oh, stock PRS, <laughs> and it has this new custom neck joint that's really cool. But the, he was playing live, and he did you know one of those Dragon Force moves where he hits it yep. up against his leg, and. It, first, it looks like the neck comes out of the pocket because everyone thinks PRS and it's like, oh, it's probably set yeah. neck and all that stuff. So what actually happened is that the glue stayed on there. The wood itself shattered. <laughs> and it, the, so the, the neck was still attached to the neck joint, but the neck itself broke. And it was live on at a festival in the middle of a solo. <laughs> it was so sick. And he just walks off stage and then just comes back with yep. the guitar and shreds. Amazing. I was like, that is awesome. But uh, yeah, you should you should look at that. That's a fun video to watch. Pretty wild to think about the different tensions a guitar goes under. Oh and yeah, for sure. Stuff. You know, I would never take a Mobius and do something <laughs> like that. That would be insane. That would just be disrespectful. Dude, but, I, I, um, I do have to like uh, slight slight brag about my um, <clears throat> I, apparently the touring stability um, of Mobius. My buddy Ryan. Uh, in misery signals recently took took oh, yeah. his uh i built a oh, Genova yeah, for right. him and he took it all across canada um and he had his prs in the guitar boat the whole time and didn't use it once he played the mobius the whole Hell time yeah. i was like fuck yeah that's awesome that's awesome <laughs> and i'm just curious did anything come up that like made you consider how how you build like after feedback from someone who's putting it through the daily paces or was it just like wow this is working? Uh, basically that i was like wanting to hear critiques wow. of like things that i could maybe i don't know like finish the neck differently or uh you know like anything and he's like nope feels great super stable and i'm like well uh that's awesome that's awesome Dude, that's i think awesome. <laughs> <You> <laughs> that's amazing man yeah i think you know it's like uh having players who really put things to their paces i'd imagine is just the only way to do it you know like there, there's not that many players out there these days that are, uh, you know, I mean, obviously on tour, but like guys who are really putting guitars to their full paces, like guys like Chris, you know, where he understands all the different things right. about a guitar and can give that feedback. You know, I imagine it's like, I was kind of curious about this. Like, how do you guys feel about when you take on clients? And I know this is kind of, you might even have to edit this topic just saying, but like, how do you feel when you take on clients that you know they're not good players, like at all, and they don't strive to be, but they, they can afford to buy one of your guitars? Is there like a weirdness that you so feel? So I've been really, 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 really lucky in that everyone that's wanted to get a guitar from me has actually turned out to be a pretty legit player. <laughs> uh, mm. So... Uh, I don't know. Like, if I got hit up by a uh, potential client and, like, I'm not going to – because this is the uh, one thing I have actually heard of other luthiers doing 
is like discriminating against certain clients when their oh, yeah. like skill level or their taste in music is not what they have in mind. The first I heard, yeah, dude, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. It, and at the time, I remember I even commented on the post. I was like, oh, pop musicians, you know, are hardworking musicians, all that stuff. And I was like, well, actually, I get it now. It makes a lot of sense. You're just making what you want. And, like, I imagine, like, I don't know. It would pain me to give, like, a guitar that is just the nicest piece of koa a person could find. And it's just built spectacularly. And I know the person's going to put it just on a sure. stand. You know, like, that, that would... It, I don't know. But, like, I also get it. Like, you know, it's like it's a client. But... Do you guys feel like that would be something that you would consider doing or you you know you're just happy to I mean build? if if they're asking me to build an instrument for them they're excited they're you know stoked to get the guitar regardless of their skill level or what they're going to play on it like that's great I'll I'll build it for them mm -hmm. if it's uh <coughs> you know going to be if if I'm building it for like a lawyer that's going to hang in their office and not do anything like that's kind of a bummer but also like i don't know like if they're if they're yeah. a cool person and they're not like a dick about it then sure like <laughs> yeah and by the way i'm not saying that even from a place that people are deserving or undeserving just that that initial like just gut instinct of like oh man like i like this guitar a lot and like even i would put this to use you know more than this guy but he ordered it you know like sure. that kind of thing you know, it's, it's an interesting uh, thing you brought up, and it's funny you brought, brought the whole Damon S thing. I remember, what was it, like, was it about five years ago, four yeah. years ago? Yeah, it was yeah. It was a while back. It was, like, 2015 or something, the, 2016. I, I remember on 7-String, the, uh, you know, it's the forum that we ended up just, everyone started meeting up at. Um, they were posting about that on his, I think he has an official thread there. And mm -hmm. it's like, I, I get where he's coming from because i think the guy that hit him up was a guitarist for like britney spears or something like well, that. well what the the situation that i recall is that it was a um a guitarist that played in like a new metal band that was like fairly small um and he had the funds to afford the guitar and everything and he like straight up refused to build it because he was like i don't like support that genre of metal or whatever but he also, um, <clears throat> it, he went one step further, and I think he, like, posted it on Facebook and, like, kind of shamed the guys about it. Mm. And I think that's mm. where the problem is, is mm. I'm, for me, like, a lot of the people that have that have purchased the instruments that I've made, you know, they aren't the best players in the world, but they, they wanted something that, you know, kind of drives their uh, love for the instrument. Yeah. And so, in the beginning, you're like, you're kind of like, oh, I wish... You know, some crazy virtuoso would end up buying my instrument and showing it off. But then you, once you start doing it for a while, you realize you're just kind of happy that someone's really stoked to get something that you've made, mm -hmm. um, regardless of how they actually use it. I mean, they can play Smoke on the Water, um, you know, all day long on it, but I'll still be stoked because they were interested in it. And it's also, it's um, also possible that your build will inspire them to become a better player. You know what I mean? Yeah, true that. <clears throat> the other um, thing I found is um, when a lot of these the builders end up like shaming people online, it cuts out a fair good niche of players that want that instrument. Like my opinion of Dylan changed a bit after that. Um, he still makes amazing instruments. It's just I kind of was turned off by the fact that 
he was willing to go out of his way to really shame a guy for the style of music he played, even though he wanted something he made. Yeah, sure. he, he was being, yeah. like, super sensitive about it, too. I think I called him out on it um, on Instagram, and he blocked me on, like, all social media. <laughs> so I was like, all right, whatever, dude. <laughs> so if anyone listens to this, if anyone listens to this, let's get Chris unblocked because yeah. he's sick yeah, exactly. and awesome. Um, kind of reminds yeah, me I mean, of, you know, uh, like, when, when Hushman was uh, mm, kind of a, a bigger oh, yeah. player in the field. And I think he requested his his own name be banned from Seven String as well. Yeah. Um, or wasn't that, like, a, I mean, a metal guitarist uh, forum, like, controversy? It started there, There seems too, to be a lot but of those. It, yeah. it spilled over to Seven String just because I know I mentioned his name in a post, and they asterisked out his name like it was a swear Wow. <laughs> Well, not all, not allowed. Yeah, dude, the gent, the gent deep, the gent deep state <laughs> remains alive and well. But uh, no, I don't. You know, it's like I, I'll just say like my my statement on just the, not just the guitar building community, but the guitar community overall is that people need to be really mindful of their negativity in any kind of way. And uh, you know, it's like the best thing we can do is spread light and positivity yep. to people. So you know, shitting on people for their style of music they like or whatever their opinions are, you know, it's not going to make the world a brighter place. And uh, It's a small world, too. I mean, a yeah. lot of us don't really quite understand how we actually are connected through other people. Like, um, I mean, the chances of me meeting up with Chris randomly in Reno, um, meeting up a bunch of other people at NAMM, I mean, it's a, it's a very small community. So the moment someone starts making some waves, everyone ends up knowing about yep. it. Yeah, I mean, I think too, like, I'll say with me, one thing that I think is kind of sad is that, like, as an outside perspective, like, I've mostly just played, like, the guitars I've played for, you know, close to a decade now, or just been interested in, like, the stuff I've been playing, so I've never really, like, reached out to, like, the more independent builders and stuff, because of all the different reputations you see online of, like, these hyped up people who make cool looking guitars and then eventually like they just can't scale and they just end up being a con job and it's it's a real real negative thing i'm glad it's changing though because there's been you know people are just so aware of that kind of tendency so i'm glad it's changing but for a long time you know it made me really dismissive of of like independent builders and I, i'm sorry to say that you're not alone yeah it's like, it's, it's it's a rampant yeah thing. it's it's a real situation like i think we, uh that's kind of where we left off with our conversation with Adam yesterday and where we'll probably uh, end up having a longer discussion in a future episode with him and maybe one or two additional guests just to like get everything out on the table and be like, okay, so this is why a lot of players are hesitant to, you know, put their trust and money uh, into small buildings because yeah. it's yeah, it's it's not like those situations didn't happen, you know. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, have man. The, the I mean, Bernie Rico yep. uh, Black Friday incident. You have Rotor. I mean, des- you know, Decibel's I'm, I, initial I'm sorry, thing. I'm sorry to interrupt. I I just want to say something. Though. I almost feel it's better to never say these that, names. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and. For real, because my my mentality of this is like, um, if you want to defeat a scam, you need to start marketing like the scammers. You just need to never mention that they did it. You know what I mean? You just need to take over their spot in the market through, you know, just making a better product and making yeah. it quicker. It's true, but and, without um, actually acknowledging what has happened, and everyone remembers it, at least the, the clientele that ends up asking us for, for you know, builds 
are the ones that have heard from yeah. us from these forums where a lot of these things occurred. Um, but I, I, do you get what I mean though? Where it's like even kind of giving these people any kind of name or any kind of traction, it's working against all the positive builders because it's just another entry in the mind rolodex of negativity. No, absolutely. You know, it's it's like I, I don't know. Like I often think, like I, I remember a while back, I got this weird message from this dude. He's a really nice guy, but it was all about how he had this really bad build experience. He was just trying to spread his his stuff. And I said to him, dude, I said, listen, I don't talk to you, and the only time I'm hearing from you is because you got scammed. I said, how does this make? How do you think I feel about <laughs> yeah. you? Like. Like you never, you never hit me up, and now you're just complaining. Like maybe you should complain less and just support people who are actually yeah. legit. And he's like, dude, I really appreciate you saying that. And uh, he's like, you're kind of rising, but still, you know, I don't feel like this person should be known. And I'm like, well, dude, you're talking to a person who doesn't care about these things. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's like I don't know why this is my problem. And like I have a like I don't care. Like I don't care if people are building guitars and scamming people. And the or let me rephrase that. Like it doesn't affect me. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, I'm not buying this stuff. Like, I'm smart. Like, I don't, I know what to look out for, you know, at this point. So it's like, I'm, I know how to build a relationship with people and build trust and go, okay, you know what? This guy's the right guy for the job. Like when Chris uh, introduced me to Hugo yeah. and I talked to him on the phone, I was like, oh, this is the guy for the job. You know, he's a nice guy. We have similar values and he's going to get it done. No, Hugo's, and, uh, a, I haven't met him in person, but I've, you know, followed his work for years and I know Chris has shared a shop space with him. And I mean, yeah. you don't really hear any negative things about people's experience with um, mermaid guitars. Yeah. And I think, like, the key, like, I'm just, this is something I'm trying to start a little bit in the guitar community is, like, I see a lot of people posting, like, screen caps and negative comments or just being negative. And it's like, man, if you guys realize, if we just shared what everyone, like, all of our peers did and just brought each other up, like, how quick this would be, yeah. like, huge. Oh, yeah. Because we just have to stop talking about the, the not fun stuff. The, the, like, and just make it exclusively sick. The good, the good part, at least in um, on the Seven String Forum, is uh, in the Luthery section, you have the section that has... The guitars built by SSO members, and so mm-hmm. you, if you trace back from the beginning to now, which is, I mean, the thread is huge and it's pinned up on the top, but you can see the ones who have eventually broken off and became became their own independent builders, and those guys That's are so still sick. reputable because they've been able to show their work throughout the so mm-hmm. decade now. Absolutely, you know, and it, I, I have to say too, as a player, the relationship up to the builder, you know, it's, I like, I, I like the friendship that can come about from it, like just the because it's shared values, you know, and that that creates such a trust bond, and then maybe you know from the business standpoint, a returning customer, you know, is finding these people who you know your vibe attracts your tribe, so to Dude, speak. I, yeah, I, and, I uh, think that's the first time I've ever heard that phrase, and I love it. It's so true, man. I mean, like, your, your attitude is one of the few things that we all have control of in life. Like ever, and uh, you know, even if you have a bad day, you can still have a good attitude about it. And I think that you know, if you're in the attitude of bringing new things in the world, like whether it's through music or building really cool guitars and coming up with new ways to do things, just even increasing your own discovery and your own information, you know, that's only going to attract, and not in like a, a hippie way, but like you're just going to find yourself more by people who are also interested in those things. And it's going to be a self fulfilling prophecy of fun but i think that might be a good high note to end on um the good thing is at least with a lot of these initial episodes we'll have a lot of you know the guests back again and, and sean i mean sweet we'd love to have you back oh thanks man yeah i'm, I'm uh this was a lot of fun so i, I really enjoyed talking about we talked about a lot of different stuff we did <laughs> uh well yeah sean let us know um or let the people the listeners know uh, where to find you and where to check out your stuff. 
Yeah, so I'm uh, my name is Sean Ash, and if you Google me, I'm the ginger with the red long hair, or well, obviously <laughs> ginger and red hair, but long red hair, curly, and that's not changing anytime soon. But if you want to find me directly, it's normally seanashmusic.com or at seanashmusic on the various socials. Um, still updating my Rumble and Gitter accounts for uh, no, I'm just kidding, but uh, you know, yeah, find me anywhere. You know, I'm I'm everywhere, and my new singles out on Spotify and iTunes and all what have you. And yeah, just uh, one day I'll be getting me my own Mobius, I'm Hell sure. Yeah. And uh, I got to play one of Alex's guitars too. Check one of those out. And uh, yeah, man, thank, just thanks for having me on, guys, and thanks for doing what you're doing. You know, the guitar community needs more of this. Hell and yeah, I love it. And yeah, awesome. that that cool. new single again is Tangerine Dream. It's the the most fun music video you'll have seen all year. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Don't Fret, a guitar builder's podcast. We hope to release episodes once or twice a month, and in the meantime, we started a thread over at sevenstring.org under the Luthery section. We'll be able to field questions and post updates there in addition to our usual social media outlets. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, let us know, and we'll see you again real soon.